Hello and welcome to Every Trivial Fact. Today's topic is education and what has been called an education and teacher's crisis here in America and as far as I can tell the West at large. They're having trouble retaining teachers all across the English-speaking world and there's a lot of problems related to both the administration aspect of it, the policy aspect of it, and then here in America, it's the people themselves and their attitudes in a lot of ways. But before I get too deep into it, I'd like to introduce my friend and guest, Trish. She's teacher therapy on YouTube. She talks a lot about, well, this educational and I guess what a lot of teachers have called a crisis of society. Hi, Trish. How you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for joining. Glad you're here. Definitely. To begin, do you want to just kind of give a little bit of background with your uh, with education? And I don't know if you want to start with your education or. Sure. Um, yeah. So I am kind of an accidental teacher candidate. I studied youth ministry and got a degree in that field in 2012. And I ended up by chance joining Teach for America in 2013. And that's basically a program where they choose from people that have bachelor's degrees in different fields. And they essentially give them a five week boot camp and then throw us in the classroom. It's normally in inner city context where there's high need areas. And so I ended up teaching for about eight years. I taught in public, private, and charter schools. And I just really kind of became disillusioned, disillusioned with the education system. I worked at five different schools. And as I'm sure we'll get into later in the, in the chat, I just really found that school had changed so much even from when I was a student and essentially everything that I wanted to do as a teacher, which is, you know, what you would think, you know, educating students, helping them to become citizens that, you know, had values and morals and virtues. I, I had my my path blocked at every turn and it just turned into a giant frustration that I thought I could fix by switching schools. Well, can I, can I ask you a question on that real quick? Yeah, totally. What popped into my head is it is it just bad for the current business model? It just seems like ethics and values do not fit into modern, I don't know, consumptive American lifestyle, including our educa government education system. Yeah, I think that's a great observation. And I think as a society, you talked a lot about it. Yeah. Yeah, we can't agree on what we value. So one person will say, okay, I value hard work and dedication. And then another person will say, well, that's not really fair to those who have been oppressed and traumatized. We need to focus on that. <laughs> and right. so then people want to focus on, well, you know, that's oh, on the, oh, just on the oppressed and traumatized. It's like, yeah, the historically oppressed and traumatized, it's like they're forever in that position. And I don't know if that means you're forever supposed to look at those people like victims or cripples, yeah. you know, but that seems to be the message to me. Um, and then they're always right. That there's no overcoming. You're just always in that position. Absolutely. And I feel like it really sets up, you know, sort of the handout society that a lot of people have brought up, you know, this idea that people are perpetually traumatized victims that are incapable of meeting standards, excelling and achieving in life. Therefore, they need the state or the government right. or, you know, virtuous uh, missionary types in education to save right. them. And you're right, it becomes this vicious cycle of people that are stuck in the same situation. And in the same me, mindsets too, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And to me, um, 
and not a lot of people know this about me, but I actually came from a really rough background that did include a lot of trauma and a lot of, you know, generational trauma and even poverty. There's a lot of addiction on both sides of my family. And so by this current system, I should have never gotten a master's degree. I shouldn't have any degree of success. But the thing that ironically really, really was so helpful for me was learning to read at a really young age and just devouring and consuming books. And that's what I did all the time, all throughout my adolescence, even in the midst of a really broken, traumatic home situation filled with addiction and violence. I would go into my room and I would read for hours and hours and hours. And it really transformed my view of the world and my thinking and my perception of what was possible for me. And that's why I was so passionate when I heard of Teach for America, like, oh, great, you know, I can help inner city underserved kids that, you know, a lot of times are our students and people of color to have what I got to have. And essentially I was blocked at every turn <laughs> and kind of told, no, you can't have standards for them. No, that's too difficult for them. No, you can't read that novel because it doesn't have characters that look like them. <laughs> and essentially it was just as my favorite phrase as an Orwellian nightmare, it's just like I was being told basically. Yeah, that's that my what got my attention, by the way, uh, listening to checking out your stuff, because I, I'll just I'll put this out there. Uh, I put together this compila this audio compilation of what, what was it called? The educate the American or Western Education Blood Special, something like that. And the, the point is, it was a it was a study of, you know, all these different teachers, like when you have hundreds and thousands of teachers and admin and everyone calling it, again, a societal crisis. And then out of everyone, you were the one, you used a few stark phrases like an Orwellian nightmare. And you also said things like you couldn't be honest. And you also said there's a lie culture around teaching, which I definitely want to, you know, we get in a little bit more there. I don't want to derail you too much from our current position. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it just, it's one of those things, um, there's like that cognitive dissonance. It's like, okay, yes. I know my yes. values. I know what I believe. I know what I have lived <laughs> to be true. Right. And yet I'm being told that these students um, basically shouldn't have law and order of any sort, not in school and not in society. I'm being taught that these students are incapable of learning ironically in the place where we're supposed to educate students. And so it just was a disaster. Oh, no, no. And this is where, you know, it pulls in my heart because I, I don't know, I was going to say, are you from the ghetto and or the trailer park too? Because you talked about how reading changed your perception growing up. And it was so important because in those situations, I could tell you, like, I could never fully understand it on my own. And no one could ever fully explain it to me. And in retrospect, I look back and it felt like growing up after a bomb went off or something. It felt like being raised, like in certain respects, it's like being in a, a bomb crater. And then you can't see beyond the lip of it. And no one else can articulate to you the how or the why. Yeah, absolutely. And then only through better understand. Well, I, I, again, I, I mentioned to you this earlier, but the whole point of education, I, I can't help but think of what uh, Frederick Douglass says, it's to make men unfit for slavery. That's the point of it. And then if your education system is the exact opposite in instilling what, you know, in psychological terms is called learned helplessness, right? Yeah. Dependence, codependent, just either way, it's, it's, it seems and looks and sounds like a dysfunctional message, a dysfunctional relationship. And, you know, in that education special and in your and, and, and I know in your work and all these other teacher works, a lot of the focus is on this common American dysfunction, the I don't know, the amount of just families that are in crisis and kids that are in crisis. 
Uh, you just said recently on a podcast you did with Mr. Nico Summer Schooling, I think is his channel's name, but his name's Nico, right? And you guys were talking about this, the, again, I guess back to the society crisis and the crisis with the kids. And then that you say you can see the discrepancy between your experience and sure, I guess uh, if we're being realistic and fatalistic in a wise manner, we could say, yeah, not everyone has an inspiring story. Not everyone has a happy ending, right? There's technically no one's promised anything. Technically there's no contingencies, right? So then why, if that's already the case, why would you do what's in your power to hold people back or to feed them this kind of cultish message of just helplessness? And I guess let me, I'll say this and I'll hand it back over to you but when i kind of boil that down that kind of that that helplessness is that whatever they're doing they're not only not edu educating uh the children and the people on you know our uh, american history and the back and the forth the good and the bad especially in comparison to the larger world and historical context dating back thousands of years in the history of civilization so they're not only failing in these basic things but they're also failing to teach them anything modern and new and, and i think in a fundamental sense to what i mean is to compete in this modern world where these technological revolutions are going to increasingly render down our system into once again if our values and ethics are already incompatible with the, the general system itself and i mean of you know consumption of of our education systems of our government systems of capitalism you know for people who have you know, valid and intelligent criticisms, let's say, because the whole basic notion of it's bad or burn it down, it's like, no, that's not adequate, right? That's not a real observation. That's not, that doesn't help anyone. So just that's what's disturbing about it going, if we already have a bunch of people saying they're miserable and they're poor, and we already have these problems and they're already poorly educated through this existing system, then what's it going to look like with more and more, is more generations that stack up of helpless people who are taught helplessness and who are not taught again how to compete or how to learn they're not given all those words to articulate and understand either their own experience or anyone else's you know it's like and that reminds me of the fundamental nature of the disconnected alienated society and i guess this is a lot of postmodern and kind of left-wing critique of capitalism right that this is what it does like you know you have what do you call it the one-dimensional man and you know i can even think of like something like um the Invisible Man by Ellison, let's say, uh, where he was thinking beyond race even, right? He was saying that, you know, P, you know, I, I'm just invisible as a man. It's, you don't even see, you don't see color, you don't see a man. And I just, I don't see how this problem doesn't keep compounding in the fragmentation, like you, you, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, sorry, I've been going on for a minute here. But like, yeah, there has been that fragmentation where, uh, and I wanted to point this out earlier, where there is no real we, you know, mm -hmm. back to the society crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is so much uh, black and white thinking, no pun intended, but sure. <laughs> it's just this idea that um, nuance is missing from the conversation. And for example, with the topic of empathy versus accountability, it's like people can't conceive of the fact that we need both. And I think that it's common for societies to have pendulum swings. So I right. definitely understand that maybe in the 1950s, you know, maybe there was a lot of really harsh discipline. You know, kids were humiliated. Maybe people did roll with an iron fist and kids were obedient out of oh, a sense of fear. That's so long ago, you know, at this point. 
And so we've swung all the way to the other side where kids can't even feel a little bit of remorse because that's considered abusive. Kids can't feel a little bit of embarrassment. And there is such thing as healthy embarrassment. See, are we trying to? And then I, I can't help but ask, like, OK, do you want kind of little sociopaths? Because this was a lot of the teacher's criticisms going like, hey, we're actually, you know, for all this talk of value and morals and ethics, trying to be good people, that we're actually failing to do that. And if you don't actually teach them, then kids will take advantage of that just like anyone else, you know? Oh, yes. We're not not just, you know, peachy keen by nature, right? We're not. Yeah, (laughs) that's the heart of it. And that's what's so difficult because it was really shocking to me that adults working with children, it's like, do you forget how children are by nature? I'm not trying to be controversial, but they lie. They're selfish. They're, you know, a little bit self-absorbed. That's the nature of childhood. And ideally, you'd have a loving adult that teaches children to share, that teaches children that honesty is a virtue, that teaches children not to be lazy. <laughs> and right. when you Well, I mean, have we have that, to, though. We, yeah. like, uh, to, to, to operate in a complex world like this, we need a high degree of both cooperative and competitive sophistication yeah absolutely. and only and with technology only ever more so and this is i also wanted to get your opinion on this like with the way the education policy and funding has gone over the last few decades policies you know a lot of them are regarded as failures like no child left behind and and i can't help but look at that and go you know was you know from a pragmatic utilitarian government perspective did they just see the education system as pointless or a failure or that, you know, the consumption class doesn't need to have an education and they just kind of kneecapped it with these kind of policies. It just seems like, you know, as, it's, as education has slid downwards and backwards, as much as we've talked so far, we haven't even scratched the surface because there's all the, there's the way the teachers run the classroom or the way that they're technically not allowed to run the classroom. There's the relationships between admin and coworkers. There's the relationships between the students, parents, and teachers, and just the way all this is playing out at the moment. You know, I don't know, do you want to, do you want to speak to some of that or should I just give a summary? Well, from I, some I want to back up a little bit sure. and kind of get to what get I think the, the heart of the issue really is. And okay. again, I feel like everything I say is controversial, so I can't not be controversial, but I really do. Oh yeah. Feel someone's like, watching and listening. Yeah. Uh, someone's, someone, yeah, someone's ready to jump down your throat or scream at you or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It's just, it's the nature of modern life, you know, uh, at least on the, at least when it comes to the internet. Yeah, but I'm going to be bold and kind of just tell you what I honestly think. I honestly think that as an American culture, at least at one point in our society, there were Judeo-Christian values. Whether somebody chooses to be Christian is, you know, their own business, but we valued things like honor thy father and mother, honor authority. We valued hard work. We valued honesty, kindness, integrity, humility. (laughs) There's just kind of values that go along with the Judeo-Christian worldview, even if the people in the society are not particularly Christian. Well, you know, as the 60s, 70s, and 80s happened, all of those values got turned on their head. It was free sex, free drugs, rock and roll, live for yourself. You know, we at least they had that. At least they had that. At least they had (laughs) sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I feel bad for these current generations. It's all just anger and why, like, there's no, there's none of that. Well, though, but I I mean, you know, and I'm not not saying that, you know, that you could say the, uh, 
degeneracy and the kind of what do you call it the hedonism of it because yeah I, when i think back and look back at a lot of that stuff like reading ken kesey's the electric kool-aid acid experiment and you see this society at the pinnacle of its kind of wealth and luxury and it's just so decadent right and these people are just indulging all their carnal desires because you know i guess the problem of existence has been solved or so the mystical fallacy says, right? They assume like, oh, there's gonna be a happy ending here. We're gonna triumph over the forces of evil. And then nope, you know, they became businessmen and now we're and now we're where we're at. Uh, well, keep going, it's sorry. It's a parable of addiction, really. I mean, I know, yeah. first, the first coke hit or whatever is fun until you're living under a <laughs> and your kneecaps broken. Oh, that it's definitely is- a culture of addiction. Yeah, that's what happens. And so I think, you know, like they realize the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll, free love, anti-authority, no rules, live for today. That doesn't work. And so, you know, maybe there was a mini pendulum swing. I think it's back good for over. marketing, though. I think it works in marketing, but it's mm-hmm. terrible in practice. It's like just bad for people. And then the fact yeah. that here's here's a bigger thing about it. I think you'd agree is that it's not just the addiction and the consumption aspect of it. It's also that we treat people that way too. Yeah. And then even in the online space, it's like, there's, you know, there's less decorum and it's just kind of the nature it's harsher, but then it begs questions of all the, all the miserable people spreading all the miserable things here. Like what's up with these people, you know, where are they messed? You know, what's, what's wrong with them in their lives that they're even here in the first place, screaming at people, let's say. Well, they hit the bottom of the well and they found out there's no water in that lifestyle, (laughs) you know, generationally, it's like, you know, their parents were miserable, their families fell apart. People figured out, okay, I do have to pay bills, you know, and just the family and basic morals and virtues at some point fell apart. And I totally get people's critique that the fifties weren't a golden era. Cause if I was living in the fifties, I'd probably be scrubbing toilets somewhere as a black woman. So I totally get, you know, there is like at least, at least you wouldn't have to constantly qualify everything with as a black woman, right? Quick, let me get out my papers. Don't hurt me. You know. As a funny side note for one of my professional developments, it was called Courageous Conversations. We literally had to preface everything we said with like our intersectionality, like as a black female. <laughs> See, that's what I mean, right? It's, it's ridiculous, but but for real, well, like you know, I get in the fifties that you know it wasn't a perfect time, but we can see that again that lack of new nuance we couldn't have progress while keeping order apparently in some people's eyes right. they just well, thought we were going to tear the system down just like we have you know the blm and the different marxist movements right, today. But i think that was a logical arc of even the morality itself because of you know it's not like the hippies had a different morality they still took the you know peace love you know right like it's still all inheritance from christianity and it's no different with the modern political parties you know, I look at the biggest divide in the left-right paradigm here in America, it's what I see is that they both lay claim to a morality mm-hmm. and they both think they're superior to each other. Because well, they're that's missing the, the balance. I think that that's, it's so funny. Um, I, but I think we were headed here, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's like, I think this is the historical larger aspect of it is that we were headed here. And it was absolutely unavoidable, just like, well, when when Europe kind of blew up you know, over the course of the last century, it was just kind of what happened there too. We had reached the expiration date on our organizational models and our belief models and our values model. And back to, I guess, if this is an age of atomization and disintegration and things coming apart, it's like, well, this is just where we're at. Things are coming apart. And it doesn't matter how much glue and policy and tape you use, it's coming apart and there's no putting it back together. That's not to say it won't go on in some other incarnation or 
a civilization collapses, let's say, and it's not like those people just disappear, right? They're still living there in the aftermath and maybe they die, maybe they live, but you know, it just changes, things go on. So we're kind of at uh, these critical turning points. And, you know, we saw that over the course of the last century, like you said, kind of culminating in the sixties. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, like you said, uh, I think, cause you, you were hitting at some of this with what you, when you were talking about the values and that with this coming apart and with the disintegration of values, the actual, you set the idealism aside and you put on your, I don't know, your fatalist glasses and you look around and you go, oh, this is like, we're, we're still accounting for the damage and it's not even in yet. Like the real tab isn't in the real cost isn't in, uh, you know, and even the damage schools do to children, let's say that the cost for that isn't in yet going on to saying, okay, if we're, if we are instilling a certain learned helplessness in a lot of kids, we, we were kind of moving towards the heart of the matter. I'll let you take yeah. it back over. Yeah, definitely. Um, just the idea that without a cohesive set of values and without people from both sides of the aisle, whether you want to call it the left or the right, coming together with nuance and taking the best of both sides and working together and harmonizing a workable way forward, we have the situation that we have today. And so a lot of times on the right, we hear all about the accountability and the responsibility. On the left, we hear a lot about the empathy and the compassion, and both are great and both are needed, but the truth is is that we need both. And so well, I- it's two two legs on the same cripple. Mm-hmm. And if the, if this two legged man decides to cut off one of his legs, well, I think we know how the story goes. One sided mm-hmm. idealism is just always, uh, always ruined. It's, it's always its end. And yeah, yeah. house divided uh, against itself can't stand. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe it pulls itself out. But, you know, it could be years or decades of problems and failures to culminate to that and eventually the lies pile up enough and I honestly I think that's part of our present reckoning too a lot of these lies and a lot of them do center around education and these kind of governmental systems and policies and I actually had a scary thought there when you were mentioning about kind of that that notion of well just it's a pluralism like if we can't agree to an ideal and if we can't believe in an ideal and if we can't meet anywhere there to occupy the same physical space as well as the same mental and emotional space then i think that means it's impossible to actually work anything out mm-hmm. and that's what makes me think i guess i'll get into I'll throw this out there that i think we're in a civil war and i've actually i i, I wrote i wrote about this i talked about it a little bit here and there but I've, i haven't done a video on it or anything but i do think about it and i do think that it's misunderstood the conflict in this country yeah absolutely it's a clash of ideologies and a clash of worlds essentially yes, but and values and about, if we can't have the conversation publicly then there can't be resolution we just have two sides screaming at each other and it forces a lot of people underground it and increases the isolation and it makes a lot of people further you could say physically, mentally, emotionally homeless, you know, because if there's an attack on the existing foundation and no agreement upon, well, where, what should the new foundation be as if like, we're going to have a year zero, right? You see that kind of thinking in like most idealists, right? This is where we find our final solution, right? This is where we're really going to fix things or we have all the answers and you see how arrogant and ignorant so much of these, so many of these people are and so many idealists are, you know, maybe that is historically speaking, like that is the um, proverbial problem. It, there is a arrogance to it and, and there's an insanity to it, right? Because it leads to pathology, in my opinion. 
Definitely. And I think, too, the importance of family. Uh, we're really not allowed to say that in schools anymore, that parents matter, that they're important, that they are responsible for raising children. They're not called parents anymore. They're called <laughs> persons of raising children's welfare guardians. I'm telling you. And it's it's just kind of scary. And I think here's here's if we want to go, go the non-conspiratorial route, I, I can go one of two ways. But we'll first sure. give them the benefit of, of the doubt that some people, the powers that be, saw this impending collapse and saw, OK, kids are coming to school with less emotional regulation. They're coming to school with less skills. They're coming yes. to school with a less of an interest in education. And I could probably say that that, you know, happened even in my generation. I'll be 35 in September. <laughs> now, I lived in, you know, the 90s and the 2000s with oh. the school shooting. Oh, it's a golden a age. Yeah. Despite, despite all that. And it's not, yeah, I think it's gone too. It's not coming back. Yeah. You're talking about and the changes between your time and now, right? Yeah, definitely. But I feel like those seeds were apparent. And I was the early generation of, you know, no child left behind. I remember that coming out in elementary and the really subtle shift, you know, year after year to standardized testing. I'm from Texas. You know, I remember being threatened, you know, if you don't pass this test in fourth grade, you're not going on to the next grade level. You know, and I remember the beginning of of that. And I I wonder if we're going the non-conspiratorial route first, if the powers that be saw, you know, there's some major problems with the kids that are coming to school. And they wanted to try to maybe find a way to fix that. But I think even the way our society. Oh, the results are in, though, right? That it's been a failure. And oh, a disaster. For, for, and then, you know, quote, end quote, students of color and with, with the, the poor, they, they have the most abysmal results. Like it's for, from dropout rates to competency and, you know, literacy, math, you name it, right? That mm -hmm. they come out always the worst and there's all this rhetoric. Yeah. around it you know okay but you're going on with the not conspiratorial because I, I already immediately start heading towards the conspiratorial <laughs> yeah the conspiratorial route is basically this is an they meant well collapse of you know of society and i i also believe that too i think it's a both end but on the non oh well, yeah yeah no there the it's nice a controlled burn <laughs> that don't know you know what the real agenda is on top some of them genuinely thought you know we can try to fix the situation we can oh, try no. to fix these achievements carlin, carlin was right george carlin was right you know, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to lower the test scores. We're going to lower the standards. We're going to, yeah. right? We're going to well, just. Because the truth is, is that schools cannot fix what's broken. You no, know, they can't. you have to Oh, get... Nico talked about that. Uh, Nico, another teacher, right? Like uh, you and him mm -hmm. talked about that too. Yeah. Right. That's, I think that that's, I mean, maybe for who knows how many years, whoever the powers that be thought we can fix this, but they realize really fast, we can't fix the problems that are going on in the home. We don't have that kind of authority. We can't provide, you know, the kind of discipline. Oh, well, at least not yet, huh? Yeah. And stability. But, value. Uh, but I was going to, I was, I was going to say though, that again, the whole, okay, let me, let me, let me take it this way. Cause uh, I do think it is a control burn. And I think a lot of people are hip to that. Not just, not just the people you would call crazy conspiracy theorists or your flat earthers or your whatever. I mean, just, you know, when, when you have people like your Klaus Schwab's and your Harari's and mm -hmm. all these politicians and, and newscasters, and they literally all say the same thing. And yeah. they, you know, you've listened to some of my stuff. So you, you know, and it's just in the other, my, my favorite is from the other day. I think it was it. Is it Joy Behar? I don't know. One of these, one of these empty talking heads was like, you know, this other politician. He's 
He's trying, he can, he control people's thoughts and that's our job. And the other guy's like, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, okay, thanks. You know, mainstream me media. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's like, you know, it, it, they don't, they just say it, you know, it's great. They don't even try and hide a lot of this stuff anymore. And I think that's a good thing. But again, with the fragmentation problem, right? Your media is different from mine. Your, what you view and understand is different from mine. And this has always been an issue of human distance and human communication because with an increasingly fragmented and alienated society, again, I guess, you know, this kind of goes back to the, what happened even during COVID was that the studies are in on this too. And being isolated as social creatures, it's like for a lot of people, it does, it, it vastly increases their stress and their aggression and their, their responses in their body and brains, you know, plays out very poorly. And I think, like you said, they actually like the government realizes they can't fix that. Mm -hmm. But what they can try and do is put a spin on what's happening and try and tell the people it's under control and try and take as much power as they can to maintain that regardless of what happens, that they're justified in cracking down on people in what ways they can. And it doesn't matter how this stuff plays out because at any point in history, it's always a, a matter of tyranny. That mm -hmm. That's where we're at actually. And whether people can see it or not doesn't matter. And it's actually, it's not a tyranny that's even it's technically not left or right wing because it's the same, you know, you have the same kind of people in there. Um, yeah. You know, they're all invested in what they're invested in. Mm -hmm. Or as Carlin would say, you know, sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not care about you, does not care about your children, does not, you know, and yeah, maybe like you said, there were some well-meaning people, but again, the results are in and it's been an utter failure. And I told you that, I think a lot of the screaming about race and uh, gender and all these other things has been a scapegoat for the fact that the system and the education system, including its admin and teachers, that they play, they all play their part, they all play their fault or have their faults, and to the degrees that they've all failed. That I think this is, you know, my personal conspiracy theory that they tried. They're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to again find find a easy way out. Yeah, and they want to cover their own tail, essentially. They want to say, oh, we did our part. We gave that child opportunities. They have a diploma now. We've yeah, done look, I wrote justice on the chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. And I think that it's, you know, just like a Band-Aid for a bullet wound, essentially. It just... Oh, and it's honestly, it's. I, I'll say this real quick, just because, you know, I'll talk to you about it, because I know yeah, apparently you come from a similar place. To me, it's just it's repugnant, you know, to see to see a lot of the, like the wealthiest, most educated, most kind of capricious middle managerial kind of classes and from journalists to three figure, you know, what do they call them? Consultants, especially in education, to see all these people give lip service to this stuff and they have no idea what it's like to come from the bottom of the American trash heap. They have no idea how that affects human physiology, the body, the brain, the mind, you know what I mean? They just, they Absolutely. have no freaking clue. So at one point in time, I got a visceral reaction from people like that. I was just, if there's a worse kind of people, it's you, mm -hmm. you know, you're, 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 you're scapegoating, you're blaming others. Like if there is a human core of failure in all this, it is precisely this laziness and this hatred and this just utter stupidity and ignorance like all the things that go in that make up our worst qualities and i think with a lot of people it's easy to think like oh it's 2022 we've evolved past our worst instincts and if these other people are the problem and our opinions and our ideas are correct then you know we've kind of come to our conclusions and i guess this goes back to the point of the heart of the divide is that it's not just that our values have expired but that 
the different people with the fragmentation problem and the wider splitting in its basic two temperaments, conservative and liberal, they've just come to different conclusions. They've, it's not that like the debate's over. There's no debate to be had, right? There's no one's actually talking anymore. They haven't been talking for a long time. It's been a lot of screaming and yelling and people have actually died, right? A lot of people have died yeah. in the riots, in various fights. There's been both liberal and conservative leaning mentally ill people or terrorists or whatever you'd want to call them, where I don't necessarily take anyone's association with the political party, by the way, if someone can commit political violence, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't immediately go, oh, yep, that's the right, that's the left. It's like, no, dude, look at this person. They clearly had mental illness. You know, sometimes yeah. that is the case. Like this person's out of touch with reality. Like he's talking to God or he's talking to aliens or, you know, he's imagining whatever utopia but it's just absurd to me that, you know, we can't have honest conversations like any of this, or even like out here, I'll bring up these things. So people have a, who don't know have a better idea of uh, the current American dishonesty and just the lies that are amounting. Like one example is in gun shootings, mass shootings now include like gang violence and just any kind of gun crime where, you know, more than one or two people are hurt kind of. They've changed the definition to where it used to be a mass shooting was kind of understood to be this kind of terroristic kind of attack. It was that it's whether it's against the status quo or for something else, right? A lot of people, they have these motives and they write these manifestos, right? But again, nowadays they'll call, oh, look, a house party. Someone pulled out a gun and shot a bunch of people and he was only aiming for one. And they'll call that a mass shooting. It's like, that is not the same as a nihilistic terror attack by someone who hates America, let's say, or who considers it a fake culture and who wants to take revenge against it. Mm -hmm. The spookiest thing about all this is when you look at these supposedly crazy people is that a lot of times they're all too sane in their analysis. Like, do you know Crazy Uncle Ted, uh, Crazy Uncle Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber? Oh, yeah. Familiar with him? Yeah. Like he had he had some sound uh, criticisms of capitalism and uh, modern industrial civilization and you know, immediately people freak out about any of this stuff because, again, nuance is dead. Like, we can't like we can't talk about this as sensible people who would agree that, OK, well, this terrorist or this sociopath or whatever you want to call them, that we're not including them in our category because we are people who can talk to each other. Right. And we can share a meal and we can do a lot of things together, let's say. Here was the other thing. It was about the because it was about the language. Did you catch that story where it's like in New York, you'll no longer use they no longer use the term inmate. They're now called incarcerated persons. This is oh, this wow. they 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 took the time to pass this legislation. You know, you don't know I don't know how much time it took, how much money it took, what the purpose is, but the premise is, I guess, look, these people they're no longer dependents or wards on the states, they're no longer criminals, they're no longer inmates. Maybe they've forgotten that we have put them in a tiny little box and you know, left them there to rot. Now, because now they're not inmates, they're incarcerated persons. You know, yeah, it's, they're, they're organizing uh, deck chairs on the Titanic, basically. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's at, and, but I, and I don't know, maybe maybe that's the sign of the futility or that's the sign of just uh, it, that's kind of like the decadent kind of aspect of it. Right. Let them have their cake and eat it, too. That's what it kind of reminds well, me of. I right. Just, up in- yeah, I just think it's almost like it's a parallel of what's going on in education because things are, you know, metaphorically burning to the ground and people oh, yeah. feel we should so get back into that that they really feel to they need to pick these random things to control so that they can feel a sense of autonomy. <laughs> and even if the thing that they're trying to control is not the culprit or the problem, they can feel like they're bringing a solution and like they're necessary and like they're the heroes. And so and that's where we get terms like virtue sig- signaling and everything right. like that. Yeah, the language. It's been interesting so to study the, how the language has changed. 
yeah, it's like in education, they know that they can't control what's going on with families. They can't or won't control what's going on with students. So who can they control? They can control the teachers because our paycheck, you know, is basically what they hold over over our head. And so they can blame us. They can try to control us. They can try to control our language and what we do in the classroom and make us all into drones. And then they can put the blame on us whenever it doesn't work out. It's this vicious cycle. And there's people that should be taking accountability that aren't. And then all of that blame is placed on teachers. And it's this impossible bind because even with basic- definitely. Yeah, with basic things like testing, you know, for example, I could be given a sheet of what they call standards that the students need to master concepts, but I don't have any freedom to teach them in a way that I know is going to be helpful. And maybe some wacko, you know, from central office or from some consulting company comes in and they've made up this new strategy or this new way that I need to teach. And every teacher in the room is thinking to themselves, this will never work with kids. This is so stupid. But we're being told you have to teach this way. And then we've got administrators coming in our room to check to see if we're teaching that way. Meanwhile, we know it's going to work to teach students and we know that our job is on the line. So we're just in this impossible situation. It's like if you had a surgeon that was given, you know, preschool sandbox tools and said, do surgery on this person, (laughs) you know, and then they're in trouble when the guy dies. It's like, well, what did you think? You gave me tools that wouldn't work and said I couldn't use anything that in my expertise, I know I need to use. we gave you the gate, the board game operation. We let you practice. Come on. Like, yeah. no, okay. Yeah, and then they so this, blame the doctors, you know, and never any talk about, oh, you took away my real tools and gave me preschool sandbox tools. Right. To yeah, yeah. And you tied my hands behind my back. And then, so this brings up multiple problems. Okay. I, I'll put it forward like this, that teachers are afraid of admin. Admin are afraid of uh, parent, uh, what do you call it? County. County is afraid of you know, state, state afraid of federal, uh, the kids aren't afraid of anyone. And, you know, like, and everyone's afraid of the kids, yeah. you know, th- it is this climate of fear that, like you said, it, it just, just like those other aspects we talked about, that this climate of fear is reflected in our society as much as education. And that immediately, as you were talking, I thought of a few of the topics you broached before, you know, because we've been kind of, in a very real sense, we've kind of been kind of talking about the Orwellian nightmare in both education and um, elsewhere. But this brings, I, I thought of topics of, okay, the curriculum and how that's pushed, including the hiring of all these consultants who are just salesmen there to sell you pronouns and anti-racism and whatever weird cookbooks and uh, answers they've come up with to experiment. Honestly, a lot of it seems like experimentation on the kids because you and Nico and a lot of teachers talk about this. And this is what I don't understand is they've turned you guys and you've talked or you've already mentioned this so far that they've turned you, you're not just teachers, you're expected to do everything, including be the kid's therapist. And it's not only is it impossible for you, like, okay, here's Nico's quote. He said, um, how neurotic to think that, like he said, this one consultant was talking and he said something like, quote, uh, what we're able to, what you're able to do for the child in this few hours in which you have them in your class can counteract everything else in their life which you know and I know and Nico knows is a bald-faced lie at worst or the most asinine optimism at best, right? It's just completely out of touch with reality. So I also wanted to ask you about these kind of consultants and these salesmen and this kind of we're changing the curriculum all the time. That's one thing I'm putting on the table uh, and and I'll try not to lose track of this here. And then the other thing that kind of went hand in hand with that 
with what you were talking about. Because Nico again said how neurotic to think that you can fix, you know, the, a few hours and you, the teacher who hardly has as much influence as the internet or his peers or her peers, you know, or their parents, whether their parents are absent or together, right? That it's just delusional to think that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And so between the ever-changing curriculum, the workshops, the consulting, and like you said, the teachers being in a position where you're told to constantly implement and change these things, yet you can you can hardly use your own basic common sense or intuition. Uh, like where, I don't know. Can you can you talk about some of your own experience there? And let me let me just mention one more thing here because it was on your last video where you were talking about you know teacher advice and dealing with Gen Z and Gen Alpha, and someone in the comments was talking about you know just remember to be careful out there, right? It goes back to this Orwellian stuff that, you know, the everyone there at work might put on a good, uh, they might be able to put on a good front and a friendly face, but if you gotta be careful who you talk to because, you know, they'll take anything you say and tell administration about it. And they said it happened to them and that, and what they advise is always leave your personal feelings and thoughts about school and students to yourself. Even people you think you can trust with your personal feelings, don't do it. If something was upsetting, talk to a close friend outside. So this gets into what you called in your videos, the lie culture around teaching. Definitely. Yeah, there's an enormous pressure. I don't know why I imagine uh, like a prison culture, but you want to get in good with the guards because maybe you don't have to clean the uh, toilet. You can peel the potatoes instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no wonder why it's so bad. It just brings out the worst in everyone because then you're stuck. You know, this is the worst aspect of tyranny is especially petty tyranny, right? It's, it's one thing when someone puts a gun to your head. It's another thing when you'll turn against your friend and neighbor for just an extra potato peel, like, you know, or try to get ahead or, you know, put your foot on someone else's head and just all that, the little betrayal. I know it's, it's there in education, right, that you've talked about and this guy's talking about. And also, you know, I think it's just everywhere in our culture. Like, there's a lot of stories you see about kids trying to like dox their parents and hurt their parents based on political beliefs. And it's like, even, even if the kids thought that the parents were wrong or immoral, it's just, again, that all of this only seems to further the divide. It seems right. Like there's no, like even the people who say they're selling answers are in fact furthering the divide. What and again, good luck. In like our professional developments, we read this interesting book um, called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And there's a lot of really interesting things and, you know, sure. I think even helpful things in the book. But we had these forced diversity conversations over Zoom to be socially distanced, right? Um, even though we had kids in the building, but go figure. Um, <laughs> and so it was just really frustrating because topics would come up that would say things like, all white people are racist and black people can't be racist. And so it was so interesting because I really tried to, you know, be mindful of, you know, not being the most controversial person in the room. But I feel like a lot of my thoughts aren't even that. Scary. You should have started calling the white people their crackers and see how they acted. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, you crackers. Let me tell you what's what. I'm telling uh, you, but yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would say what I thought. You know what? I think racism is a heart issue. Therefore, you know, a black person can be racist. A white person can be racist. You know, and well, they would hatred, hatred absolutely is. And I don't. I think people take for granted that the issue about hatred isn't that it fits your ideology. It's what it does to a human's physiology. It just like stress. It's how it's war literally warps and twists their nervous system. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the deadly problem of it. If you say it's a heart issue, like I take that very literally and metaphorically. Yeah. Like, yes, it is. And also where the heart and mind meet.
and where our internal world makes contact with our external world, right? Our perceptions are. It it was just very frustrating because, you know, I don't know, I think I'm a naturally empathetic person. And so in some of these professional development meetings, I would think, you know what, I'm like hurt by this and I'm not even white. Like, I, I wonder how my white brothers and sisters feel. But the thing is, is if you said something like that, the first thing that would be said is like, why do we care how white people feel? They can take a back seat. They've had supremacy for so long. It doesn't matter how they make them feel. And so the conversations were often like couched in this air of, we can be as angry, hurtful, disrespectful, right. you know, and rude as we want to be. And everybody around just needs to sit and tolerate it. And if you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not with us, you're with racism. <laughs> and it was different from school to school. I think some of the schools were trying to kind of integrate it in a more gentle fashion that still came across like a sledgehammer. Like the <laughs> They're not subtle actually. at all, are they? Yeah, uh. it was awful. We had, um, and it was like our back to school, you know, professional development and literally in this giant auditorium with all the teachers of the district, they put this giant paper on the wall and we were supposed to write racial slurs and stereotypes and things that we've heard about every single race. So like Asians, black women, black men, um, you know, gay men, they like broke down all of these categories and we were supposed to go write like slurs. And wait, who were these people? Who is, who is, who are the people behind all this i'm just curious the the school district the superintendent was leading it and so we not only had to write i feel like this is one of those things you hear about where it's like superintendent gets fired for well-meaningly using a racial slur to say it's not okay to use this racial (laughs) slur you know that's the kind of thing i've seen that story if you like all over the place in the last five years you know well it's so interesting though because you know i i don't know maybe i'm braver than i think i did go up to the superintendent after and say you know i really think that the focus needs to not be on this but on raising accountability and standards oh oh, you don't think you don't think we should focus on the mendacious race swindle (laughs) <laughs> well, you the crazy think- thing is, it's so ironic because he cut me off in mid-sentence and began to talk over me. And I was thinking in my head, like, oh, intersectionally, you won't even listen to a black woman oh, as a white oh, man. Oh. You're going to cut me off and tell me Dude, how so- to fix my people. <laughs> Oh, the cra- look, look, the cracker was mansplaining to you. It's the I'm worst. Th- dude, the worst <laughs> sin, like this is the worst of all sins. It's so funny, but um, it really is. It, it was disturbing at the end of the day. But I would have people come up to me and say, you know, thank you so much for saying this, because we're honestly afraid to say these things. Well, it's and disturbing. All- it's yeah. honestly it's really disturbing because I see that as you're it's almost like you're trying to tell this guy, hey, do you not see your own dehumanization in this? Because mm-hmm. I think, back, again, the, the, I, this whole time I'm thinking of Fred, what Frederick Douglass said about slavery, because to make people pliable, to make them good slaves, they have to believe in their slavery. Mm-hmm. Right. They, you have to justify yeah. it to them mm-hmm. and you can sell it as you can you can present it as slavery or you can make it to where i guess this is where 1984 and brave new world come into play it's like no you have to make them want and like their slavery you know it doesn't matter if they lose rights it doesn't matter if things get worse just keep them as contented as possible and tell them whatever they need to hear let them channel their rage and their fear however they need to do it but i think of douglas saying that you know you needed you needed a slave thoughtless and that again, they need to believe in their own subjugation and they need to believe in their own dehumanization. And when all, every time this mendacious race window stuff comes up, that's exactly where my head goes. It doesn't matter how you try and justify it. It's the same dehumanization. 
Well, and the irony to me is that truly racist people, which I have encountered, by the way, like I'm not of the side that sure. says racism doesn't exist. You're not going to change those people's minds and hearts with this nonsense. You're actually making them more. No, you're encouraged. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> not not that anyone. I think fundamentally, just the way people are, we don't need we don't need a reason to hate, but we will rationalize anything. Yeah. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, my view is so simple. <laughs> I just think that literally for, you know, students of color, disadvantaged, whatever the case, all students, we need to give them the best education humanly possible so that they have options. If they want to go into right. a trade, great. If they want to go to community college, great. If they want to go to university, great. But they all need to at least. Right. Well, they need, yeah, they need to compete. They need to be yeah. able to. Right. And well, then and the concern is for all this lip service. Let me ask you this real quick. What your thoughts? Because I think it gets it gets real grim the further I look out. It's like, look, you know, we've seen riots and problems before and we've seen, you know, lots of people out of work before. And it's like as we keep going forward, as more people are put out of work through technology and other means and as things get more expensive and as things change and it's harder and harder for people to skate by. And it does really seem like the corporate and governmental America and the West at large really does want us on, you know, the grid in a major, like they want, they want, you know, their fingers are in our lives as much as possible. They want as much as possible from us. You know, it's like, they're going to keep, they're going to maintain stricter controls, especially, and you see it, I think in a lot of the legislation and policy and ideal idealism that does deal with the future, whether we're talking education or climate change, you know, it's just there that then the, in the same way that teaching is a sacrificial field where you guys are expected to sacrifice your health and your everything to, again, I told you I didn't understand how you guys could be the student's therapist because technically teachers aren't even licensed to be therapists. So I don't know how they got away with that, you know, to try and teach you guys to be their therapists. And I guess if you need serious intervention, then I, I kind of get it to a point, but it's clearly, it's clearly wrong and it's clearly, you know, missing the point of education. Well, yeah. And we had that's where our, our great edu consultants would come in. We had programs like BIST, B-I-S-T, and they would talk about all of these different skills that students were missing. So the idea was that if a student be, misbehaves, it's because they don't know the rule, they don't understand the rule, or they don't know how to implement the rule. Oh, yes. I've it's heard never, some of this. Yes. Yeah, nowhere in the conversation was kids are misbehaving because it's fun. They totally understand the rules. They understand the rationale. They understand everything, but they don't want to do what they're told to do because there's no consequences. That conversation was not allowed to be had. So we would find ourselves needing to do ridiculous things, like if a kid is acting well, up. Do you think they the believe that? Is the, Whoever was selling that, like whatever consultant who was probably paid six figures to sell that, Right. Like, are, were you in a workshop and they're sitting there going, here's this and here's that? Yeah, that they would it? come once a week to have our BISC meetings and they would ask us about our toughest cases and then try to show us how BISC would work in that situation. And I actually have a funny story, come to think of it. This sure. poor kid, um, he was, we'll call him SpongeBob. He was the one of the most disturbed children I, I had ever encountered in my life. He would... <laughs> throw desk, he would rip apart bulletin boards, he would scream and curse and freak out. He would say the most vilest things. And we found out, you know, he was in a foster care situation and had a tough background. But we would tell this right. BIST lady about this kid and she would say things like, oh, you just need to have him practice picking up a tissue box and walking back and handing it to you because that's going to show him how to follow oh directions. What a, what a total fart. What a total farce in terms of not understand more than anything. What's alarming is, OK, again, these people like they're they're trying to play psychologists and therapists and they're not. 
And I, and see, now I'm getting angry because I think about this and I think about the real trauma, how broke, how this kid is running a marathon, how his physiology is stressed to its breaking point, how this kid has serious problems. Mm-hmm. And th- this is how he's treated. And this is the attitude of the edge. Cause it's like, if there's failure everywhere else in his life, and that's what it's been. And then these are, again, the, you know, maybe she means well, but we shouldn't hire well-meaning idiots. You need people who can do the job. You need ideas that actually work. And right. look, that you that was one acronym, one thing. How much of that stuff did you have over the years? How many oh, workshops? How many, well, is that where all the money is going in education these days? I is really it just, think so. Is it I mean, six-figure consultants with these bullshit ideas? Pardon my yeah. French. I'm getting, I'm mad here. Oh, it's terrible. And that's what, you know, we get our professional development, quote, quote, time wasted, which is actually our planning time. (laughs) The only time that is carved aside for us to actually plan lessons, they get taken up with these ridiculous meetings. And there was just all kind of programs. There's love and logic, there's positive discipline, there's BIS, there's restorative justice, restorative circles. There's all these different names for just these hyper positive, alleged, (laughs) you know, uh, consequence systems, which really amount to having no consequences whatsoever. Oh, shoot. You know what I'm thinking now? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, I, sorry, I just it just popped in my head. I want to share this with you and get your thoughts. Yeah. I'm wondering, I'm thinking, let, let's assume it's as earnest as possible. And then my thoughts are, well, this is just kind of the modern therapeutic approach to try and staunch the bleeding, right? This is yeah. the, you know, I kind of, I knew this before. I heard it trying to articulate in a very particular way that, again, thinking about that little, that little boy, right? The desk flipper mm-hmm. you were talking about. Yeah. You know, thinking about how, at how much, like I could think of countless examples of traumatized or abused children and how much intervention they would need mm-hmm. and have needed to avoid becoming statistics, right? Yeah. And I mean that, whether it's a suicide or a slow death by alcoholism or other addictions, you know, that these are very real things and you've seen them. Like you've yeah. probably seen what it's like, you know, a lot of this dysfunction that goes unseen, you know, again, for all the lip service to, oh, we're helping people and, oh, we care about the poor and the minorities and the disenfranchised. And it's like, yeah, you care, but from a good, long, six-figure distance. Well, like, it is the redefining of words. Again, you know, yeah. things aren't misbehavior. <laughs> you know, they're not rebellion. They're not disrespect. We're not allowed to use those words. And essentially, it's like we're Wait, what, to- what words have been memory hold or blacklisted? Well, we're not supposed to say things like kids are being disrespectful, you know, kids like and there's been whole conversations that no longer can students be written up for disrespect. No longer can they have any right. kind of consequence for that because it's considered to be culturally right. oppressive. Because well, don't worry, because in the future, they will no longer be they're no longer students. They're future incarcerated peoples. How about that? Yeah, it's terrible. And- I know. thing that would just upset me so much because truthfully like as a black woman who has actually experienced racism I know that I need to be at the top of my game I need to again be able to compete with anyone and a lot of times if I'm in a community that truly does have some racial issues the magnifying glass is going to be on me more not less they're going to be looking oh, for sure. me to mess up more not less yeah you and- know I saw that you you talked about that in your was it was that the charter school or the private school probably the where- private where it was just kind of that like you you know what is tucked away suburban white america 
Yeah, it was it was awful. And that I really, truly believe that that place did have some serious racial problems. And the school acknowledged it. They had professional development about it. They said they were that was the only black teacher in the whole school of a K through 12, you know, situation. And they talked about how they are constantly losing black families. And there was a lot of subtle weirdness, like black students, they would make up black names for them and be like, hey, Javante, hey, Jerome. And his name was like Timothy, you know, just really subtle. Well, it just reminds me it does to, to a certain degree like because there, i think there's a side that we get lost on this the kids are easily cruel and i remember hearing this one comedian recently saying that like you know when you're a kid and you, something happens to you that becomes your nickname like we had a guy who lost an eye he became blinky right we had a, so you know and i remember even i think of a chris rock bit where he's talking about if someone rear ends him you know he talks about how we go for the lowest hanging fruit he says if someone rear ends him and he gets out and it turns out it's like a a midget with one leg then he's going to be yelling at this one-legged midget and telling him you know he's going to go for what so there is that side of it that's easy mm-hmm. to take for granted and that kids will take advantage if they are, do see that they are given because i see it two ways of one you, they have too much freedom and leeway they're not given proper discipline mm-hmm. and right you know that those things aren't maintained that structure isn't maintained on one side and that other side that you know what point does a joke become hatred because it's a serious yeah. question Well, yeah. And um, this particular school was just ridiculous. I was teaching seventh and eighth grade. They made memes of me calling me a drunk, a lesbian, like making fun of my husband, like super random stuff. Like, and they just were, I don't know, they were equal. Like they made up. And were these kids, these, were these kids also not allowed to be written up for disrespect? Um, the private school was a little bit strange. You had certain families. It was like the mafia that you couldn't touch them, especially the board oh, members. The, these guys own the bowling alley. Don't mess with them, right? These guys oh, own the construction. Yeah, the gun uh, range. One of them, literally, their family owned a gun range in the little weird town. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, so you, you, you wouldn't be in with him. Right. That's exactly who you want to be in with you. Solution, oddly enough, that the administration tried to give me. And I was so naive. I just didn't understand this world. So they're like, you need to befriend these powerful moms and they'll kind of help you out. And I was just confused. I'm like, wait, but they're you know, kid, (laughs) you know, is like calling me names and being terrible and like the whole it was always that reframing i literally heard from the principal oh that's the middle school animal kids will be kids you know (laughs) the principal's son wrote up a petition to get me fired within the first three weeks and had like two-thirds of the seventh graders sign it i mean these kids were like out for blood wow they're motivated man i'm impressed that at least they're (laughs) at least they're doing stuff you know like better than just sitting on their phone all day uh sorry it's interesting though because there was much more of an academic focus at this particular school oh because they're paying good if it's if they're paying if the parents are paying good money Oh yeah. Oh no, and I remember you actually said uh, you you, on on that matter. You said that that they're basically they begin to see themselves as stakeholders. So they kind of call you like they they feel like they have the luxury to call you or tell you what to do and all these other things. And yeah. Yeah, so in that regard, they were a little bit more serious about academics. And I did find the kids were a bit more hardworking. (laughs) You know, they were a little bit more motivated. And it was kind of weird with behavior. There were some parents that would not be okay with what their kids were doing. But the vast majority of them, I found like 80% of them were very entitled. And they just flipped the problem back on me. And I found out quickly, like, you're supposed to do everything to make these parents happy, oh my goodness, like teachers were treated so horrible. And so that's why even I love people comment all the time, private school is your answer. Work at a private Christian school. And I'm like, yep, (laughs) been there, done that. And it gave me PTSD, like literally, like it was so bad. Well, hey, I don't know. I will look, you say people have different reactions to this. Like some people would be upset that you broached the subject or some people would be upset that, 
you brought up rate, like depending on where you're at, they would be upset for you to even bring up something like racism. You know, what is if on one side it isn't real and on the other side is if it's because it's like, okay, you know, whether they want to consider it the worst pro problem in the world compared to other human behaviors, because I think there are a few like there's things beyond racism that are just as bad and worse. Right. Like that's not that it's like human like the 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 depths of hatred in humanity doesn't stop and start with racism it doesn't stop start or end there right it goes deeper than that and it's wider ranging than that so it's a yeah, serious and... problem that i don't think that the current dialogue and the discourse you know remotely addresses and it obviously is frustrating for everybody like cuz look at look at where we're at again we've reached our different conclusions we have a complete cultural divide and like i said i call it a civil war both uh, yeah. the people against themselves and one another as well as the government it's is also at odds with itself but that's another interlocking ring in this kind of cultural disillusion right in this coming apart yeah. um and i don't want to get too off track because we've been tracking through this orwellian nightmare uh you had brought up a bigger topic earlier about you know, where we got into both on one side, the consulting and the other side, I guess, is some of these just human relations and race relations. Did I, I ask like how many different, can you even remember all the acronyms and all the different programs? Cause you've talked about how. Interesting. Um, some were, uh, some had formal names, like the ones that I mentioned, like the BIS, Love and Logic, Positive Discipline, Restorative Justice. Um, uh, they all sound so new age. It, 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 I, I'm trying not to cringe too much in the sense that, again, okay, maybe a well-meaning idiot put this together, but go on. Well, and it's just this idea that I think you actually brought it up earlier. The question is, is hum humanity primarily good or not and that's kind of you know uh i oh, guess in controversial but i think a lot of these people believe like you know kids if they just understand your rule of course they'll obey it or the worst is oh if you can just make them like you if you can do something magically some kind of unicorn sprinkle dust over their forehead oh, <laughs> you know that, is, is that, that, that getting into the um kind of educational theme, educationally themed uh, infotainment oh, yeah. <laughs> they want they want you to impress the kids and astound them and kind of jazz them and aren't you cool and hip and aren't you teaching them to learn yeah and while at the same time this again is so ironic to me they're giving us these ridiculous boring stupid curriculums and forcing <laughs> us to use them because <laughs> actually when when teachers when administrators and everyone just left me alone. I think I actually created real magic in the classroom. So I know that it is possible. There was a few situations. Oh, well, that's a creative, that is that, well, that's kind of the definition of uh, an art and a creative process is that the moment it's, it's defined by a restriction, but the moment you have everyone and everything stamping on it, it's like, oh shit, good luck. Yeah. And it was interesting. The first two years, I kind of had a principal that didn't know what she was doing. And so she kind of left me alone. And so that was I got some time to kind of try different things. And then there was two years at one school district where the principal got so sick, you know, from being at the job that he literally had to take medical leave. So we kind of had like common story, too, in case people, in case listeners didn't know it's common story. Teachers quit for their health and they can't even work because of their health. Yeah, because of the job and how stressful and toxic and 
Yeah. And so I got a taste of what it would be like for me to have a creative idea. For example, back in, you know, 2015, 2016 school year, when there was elections, you know, I created mock elections with the students because I taught English and social studies and they researched the ideas. They had mock debates. They wrote papers on it. They were excited. They felt like they knew what was happening. Like it was just educational gold. And these were sixth graders. Um, but I could have never gotten away with something like that. <laughs> If the principal wasn't out sick, literally, you know, and we didn't have some interim principal that didn't really care what was going on. That year, I was able to read 14 full-length novels with the kids. That soon got banned. 14? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I've, no, I've looked, I look, I've, I've done my research both inside and outside of YouTube, and I've looked at teachers' forums where, you know, teachers are going like, did you guys all just give up on novels? Because the problem is a lot of the kids, they can't even they can't even engage in the, re they don't even have the reading comprehension to do it. And they, this ranges from kids who in theory, like absolutely have the potential to at least understand a little bit better, but they just don't have it because they were never really taught how to read and they well, were never I taught it, to, in school. To fix that problem was I would have an audiobook playing and then they would have the physical book in their hands and they would follow along. So they were able to hear it and see it see at the it, same right. time, which actually incidentally is a really great way to help kids learn how to read. And we yeah, did it dials them in. It dials them in a bit versus if you're just reading, it leaves your own mind's eye out, right? Like you're a reader, so I think you have an idea what this looks like. That when you're reading and following, it really is a unique experience experience when you're just using your eyes as a technology because you're creating the picture in your head and then if you also hear the audio I feel like it dials you in a bit more which is probably actually a pretty good thing to do for modern kids given you know cell phone distractions and things like oh, that how how flighty us modern people are with our phone addictions well, yeah, and it was just so beautiful to see kids engaged in the beauty of story. I could literally cry talking about it. It's so sad with all the test prep. There's these short garbage paragraphs that look like they were written by a crazy person themselves <laughs> that were supposed to like, you know, so boring, like, okay, like find the main idea and circle this vocabulary word versus like a real classic novel, <laughs> you know, and we right. could like get into so the something that might teach you to make you question your humanity or look at your humanity or question how you've lived, lived your life or all these things that yeah. literature and art can do for you, you know, show you beauty, show you things you've never seen before. Yeah, and honestly, in literally expand your world. It, but no, it begins abstractly, right? It expands our mind. It begins as this weird abstraction, but it's absolutely reflected in our physical reality. Freedom of the mind, freedom of the body always follows freedom of the mind. I don't think it goes the other way around. You know what I mean? Like, I mean this very practically, right? I don't mean this idealistically, just thinking on what reading and education, all these things actually, how they affect us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, curiosity has been lost in the mix. Excitement has been lost in the mix because no one would believe me. But, you know, since I was the English and the social study teacher, I actually got out our, our world history textbooks and we would like read them together and kids would ask questions and we would talk about it. And we would have surprisingly thoughtful conversations where we could authentically link it into current events. It was this beautiful organic process instead of like me shoving weird ideologies down kids throats when they had no context to understand history or relate it to anything else ever <laughs> yeah. I know that's a very good, no that's a crucial point that I guess the zealots kind of miss in their overexcitement to teach them it's like well you're teaching them kind of be these to be these kind of self-destructive tumbleweeds and I don't know that they I don't think they understand that though you know even if they mean well mm -hmm. I just think that 
there's got to be some kind of potential left somewhere in some context for teachers to enjoy teaching and students to enjoy being taught. But at I least haven't I found know. it, just so you know. And yeah, I, I all the teachers and admin I've known, because I, I know, like, look, a lot of them that I've known, they've already quit. They're mm -hmm. getting into other bit, uh, businesses or other jobs. Uh, a few of them want, have wound up as pronoun salesmen and anti-racism salesmen. And I mean that literally. They're like oh, wow. consultants who go around you know, I guess this is, again, this is where the money goes, I guess. I got to, I got to be honest with a lot you. Of it. Like in my desperation, I was like, dang, I need to be a biz consultant. Like, what am I doing teaching? Oh, like, dude, you <laughs> could go wag your finger and be like, listen, you crackers. Look, <laughs> I'm not racist. You guys are racist. Stop sucking and just wag your finger at them. And then if they dare to have a shred of self-esteem or humanity, you just tear them down. <laughs> well, BIST is the goofy um, little uh, behavior system where essentially there's a safe seat, there's think sheets, and there might be like reflection rooms. And so there, it's this whole system basically where you are trying to identify what skill is the child missing if they won't stop talking all day. <laughs> and then they need to like go sit in the safe seat and fill out a think sheet. And maybe I take them aside and like process with them. And, you know, for a certain subset of students, that kind of thing works. But <laughs> for most of them these days, I just don't think it does. And for a second, I really did consider, should I just become some kind of consultant? But I'm like, you know, I really don't think I could live with myself because a part of me really did wonder, like, am I just doing BIST wrong? Like, is there a better way to do BIST? But what happens is kids get used to anything you do. Oh, the teachers, so maybe the the teachers are, like you said, the teachers are always to blame. You know, that was a comment yeah. across this country, across the spectrum. I heard it from teachers. I heard it from admin. I've seen it, I've seen it firsthand, you know. Yeah, and it's just like... You, it really gets in your head. You do feel kind of crazy sometimes because it's kind of like the gaslighting process and like. Oh yeah, no, I was about to say that is the Orwellian nightmare, right? It's the yeah, cognitive distance to, to, to hold two different things simultaneously in your head while purging the other and then being able to forget or recall any of them at any given time to continue on this process. The full explanation of what double think is, is kind of along those lines. I need to actually look at it to make sure I got the the rationale and the words right, you know, off the top of my head here. But it's something like that. And that very you questioning that right there, that's that's what pops into my mind. This is what double think does to people. Yeah, and it really tears you down. I feel like uh, my self-esteem, so to speak, was so torn down by teaching, especially in certain. How are you now, by the way? I hope you've no, you deserve, you know, I absolutely believe you deserve better than that. I know you deserve better than that. How are you? How are you doing these days? You know, you know, it's almost like it's almost like having an abusive partner. That's what a lot oh, of what you discussed reminds me of, you well, know, that they just gaslight you and tear you down. Well, after that private school experience, I literally would break down crying, trying to fill out job applications. I went to a local teacher store and nearly started crying in the teacher store, like looking at the supplies because I felt like such a failure. And I had been like so beaten down by parents, so made fun of, mocked, literally bullied by these people and had the administration oh. gaslight me and say, this is your yeah. fault. What are you? Know, and that makes it hard. That mm -hmm. makes it hard to actually assess, right? Like, where can you... Because it's because, you know, you could say, OK, I did some things wrong or I made some mistakes. And then when you actually try and analyze, you know, if you're trying to analyze the situation and you actually have no, I was going to say no positive feedback, but I was just going to say no real feedback at all. Because, again, if everything is double, if everything's either double speak or doesn't mean what they say or it's backwards or what do you call it? Uh, like no one's being honest. 
mm-hmm. how could you ever know? How could you ever fix that? And I don't think yeah. you can. Yeah, and that and that's where it goes back to. I really think you know teaching is is a shared responsibility, and I just imagine a pie chart where everybody's got a percentage depending on the age of the students. The parents have a percentage of responsibility. The students have it. The administration and the school culture has a percentage. The teacher has a percentage, and in some kind of way, society has a percentage of that pie. Oh yes. And what happened is they've made the whole pie the teacher. Oh <laughs> okay. Know? Now that we're here, speaking of this. If anyone's interested, there's a four-hour education blowout special on my YouTube channel here. That's the same place as this will be. But you heard that. Did you remember hearing the guy who was saying, look, arguably, if your teacher can't tell little Johnny to go sit down yes. and it becomes a 45-minute ordeal, you know, arguably, you don't have a school. I nearly Argue- cheered when I heard that. <laughs> yeah, that guy seemed like a cool admin, huh? Because you, you heard him. He's like, he's like, I didn't mess with my teachers. If they're good at lecturing, let them lecture. If they're good at this, let them do that, right? Like, yeah. that's, and you know that he was breaking all the rules uh, or a lot of the rules and that approach because it actually doesn't mesh well with the hyper-monitored, hyper-data-selecting, you know, kind of wishy-washy system that's in place. Yeah, absolutely. And oh, we haven't really gotten into that, like explaining how how much testing there is and how much uh, how much monitoring there is and how happy to talk about that. It's insane. So a lot of the teachers did kind of think that way. And it wasn't a lot of it was very practical. It wasn't necessarily some idea like they weren't proposing an idealistic thing like, oh, we're all responsible, you know, like (laughs) because it's proven that if we are all responsible, then either these people, these present modern people are either incapable of that responsibility or they're slacking it off. There's a few different ways you could interpret it, but that's what a lot of the teachers were pointing out, that you don't have a school. If you can't actually teach the kids and discipline them, you don't have a school. And he said, arguably, you don't even have a society. Yes. (laughs) And he pointed it out in other examples, like in broader society, if these people can't do their jobs, if they can't even tell people to avoid this area for safety and everyone has this consumeristic mentality, like you're the teacher, you're the one who makes them come. You better do it. You, you know, like, again, teachers always to blame. And he said that, too. Teachers always to blame. It doesn't matter how bad admin screws up. Doesn't matter how bad county screws up. It doesn't matter how bad the funding system is to begin with. Or like that comedian teacher, Devin Siebold, talked about. When he said that he got a uh, congratulations one school year because it was their most tested school year where they administered over 17,000 tests. And he goes, that's nothing to celebrate. That's an abomination, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because the kids kids don't appreciate the test. They don't respect them when there's that many. They don't even learn that. They don't learn anything. Right. Like. Well, yeah, and everything, um, I think there's so many things that idealistically sound good, but you all you have to do is talk to a teacher to know in five seconds whether it'll really work. And so with the standards-based <laughs> movement, you know, it's this really beautiful idea that, like, why have solid deadlines and grades? We're ever-evolving, ever-learning uh-huh. humans. Why can't they infinitely take the test until they understand you it? You don't why- have the funding to be Waldorf, okay, public school system. You do not yeah. have the funding to be Waldorf. You can't be having this. Like if if rich people are okay with their kooky kid not learning how to read by second grade by going to this expensive private school, fine. Not cool for public school. 
Well, yeah. And again, it goes back to that human nature question. In an idealistic, perfect world, students wouldn't take advantage of a system with infinite deadlines, if infinite chances, and the ability to sometimes literally retake the same exact test and memorize the answers. And so it's like these either uh, willfully evil or not too bright people, not sure which one, are just not like that's not even allowed to be a part of the conversation. And it takes me back to my zeros or toxic professional development. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it was just amazing. Well, what's, the, so what's the name of that? program uh what's the name of that consulting it group was like a who part of the standards based grading movements and i don't know that that in and of itself has a name but even i want to say i think it's edutopia or something one of the huge edutopia yeah i think oh i did see that that i feel like that's borderline orwellian too <laughs> yeah i'll have to find the name of of this like giant you know educational nice. publishing thing but i think that they even had an actual article oh yeah it really is quite the racket huh like they make a lot of money selling but i mean you know from even in co like the college thing is a problem too for the students like that if there was ever a, a racket it was the college textbook one uh but, but let's go on about this one oh yeah it's edutopia.org um, by the way but anywho yeah and so it's just it doesn't work realistically. And what happened in our district is I think what happens with a lot of urban districts that are failing in terms of their like district report card, sometimes they will look at better resourced suburban schools where things actually work for some odd reason. And they'll try right. to bring it into urban districts, but they will only implement it like 14% of the actual program. And so their idea was get rid of all grades. So homework doesn't count, um, you know, projects, in classwork, there's no grades except for what's called benchmark tests. Everybody's and, a winner. <laughs> well, and it's so weird because um, essentially, of course, nobody's going to do work for the most part if nothing's graded. Um, and then parents lose sight of. I feel yeah, like I was ripped off because, <laughs> like, I, I when I when I slacked off and when I skipped school and all that stuff, like I it was seldom that I could ever get away with anything. Right. Like they, they never, like they would get you on a lot. Like, a, I mean, I guess in the grand total I did, but you know what I mean? Like I'm saying that it was inevitable. Like mm -hmm. that was back when schools still punish kids and yeah. rightfully so. And yeah. I, you know, and it all serves a purpose. Sorry. I didn't mean, to, I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm just thinking like, man, I went to school during the wrong era. Like I could have <laughs> been, I could, I could have been a complete screw off, but you know, I know, I know the going to Yale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I know that that would have had deleterious effects on my life. So I'm glad it, I'm glad it wasn't the case. I'm glad I was held to standards. I'm glad my teachers had less shitty acronyms and weren't <laughs> stuck on a lot of these stupid programs and policies that don't work, you know, that produce <laughs> failure in kids. Yeah. And it honestly, it makes the teachers essentially into liars uh, because there's so much pressure to like fudge data. And change oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Passwords. Yeah. You, you've talked about that. Yeah. And so it just it's just just horrible, really. How much of I that mean, did you see? I know that fits right into the fact that, again, I'd say what a double faced culture and a lie culture. Well, and that's the irony um, that kind of goes into the conversation of how like you can't really trust other teachers. I've only had one ever admitted. One flat out admitted, you know what, I just changed those scores, you know, because we essentially in my particular state, we have this state linked evaluation where we give these kids these um, diagnostic tests and then these different benchmark tests. And they're supposed to take it, I want to say twice a year. I think maybe the first time they take it, that's called like a pretest. And you're supposed to give it to them when they've learned nothing about it <laughs> so that the grade looks really low. And then you give it to them again after having taught the unit. So it looks like they grew by like 900%. <laughs> um, and so. Wow. 
Yeah, and that happens. It's all like that. See, that's like direct marketing. The honest lie. That's like, hey. Yeah. Well, oh, and that's speaking how- of honest lies, uh, real quick, I just one of the. If do you remember the teacher on the project where she was saying that, like, when the classroom gets disrupted and when they oh, didn't yeah. get, to, you know, that they never get a chance to send a note home saying, sorry, we didn't get to get to math today because some kid was having a meltdown. Sorry that your children were traumatized by this fight or this violence. The parents don't know and they don't want the parents to know. Oh, because absolutely. of course the parents would lose their minds. Because I know it's inc- it's increasing that Americans are catching on. And let me, let me point this out because we as Americans have been saying this for a long time. Our education system sucks. We know that, everyone knows that, everyone's been saying the same thing for, I'm not trying to be cynical or mean here. Yeah. It's been an issue for a long time and it's in our comedy and it's in our media and it's in the news. And that, like you said, with that climate of fear, it's that everyone's worried about the bad optics. Everyone, no one wants to be a meme. No one wants to wind up on the news. Yeah. And that again, at the end of the day, it's fear that's ruling. And because of that, it's destroying the potential for these kids' education. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, for hearing all these people say we care about children, like I, I'm so sick. If I hear another pr- person, if I hear another Westerner say they care about the children, I'm going <laughs> to say the shit you don't in a wider context in our society. It's clear we don't. If we cared yeah. about kids, there would be laws in place to say you can't use social media till you're 18 because it has such terrible effects on their psyche and their brains. Right. Like if we cared about a lot of these things, we would have done something. And I guess this is what one of the teachers also said, right? He said, no one takes the care for education. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he talked about as being a black male in the education profession, less than 1% black male. And as a result, because of all this mendacious race window stuff that they put him as, no matter where he goes, it's like, oh, we got we to cater to this notion of diversity. Look, get our token black guy, right? Like that, that's how they treated him. It sounded like they wouldn't even acknowledge that he... They couldn't acknowledge to him that that's how they used him and treated him. Definitely. And in the mix, all of this, kids realize really quickly, like, okay, I'm not going to be held accountable. I don't really, really have to do my work. And so then I think teachers, it's really, it feels like a lottery system. (laughs) One year, I just so happened to have like six kids that were considered, you know, to be gifted and talented. And I had a fairly good group of kids. um, But my co-teacher, we um, exchanged kids. I taught the social studies and English and she taught math and science. Mm -hmm. She had like five uh, kids that didn't know English and like five special education students. (laughs) I'm just going like, dude, that's a full load right there, probably. Yeah. And overall, like her class was just, you know, performing much lower academically we would both be told you both need to have you know 90% of your students passing it and they would always say there's no excuse you need to figure it out they call it differentiating education you know you need to make different worksheets you need to find what they call scaffolds in order to you know meet the kids at their level and there's all of these impossible issues and then a lot of times I mean it kind of some of the jargon and stuff like you can kind of understand what they mean in the sense yeah. that hey like i meet anyone in the street like i'm going to assess what's the divide between me and you how can i speak to you in a way that you know the way that we can understand each other you know basic it's just basic human stuff right i feel like that even if we don't really talk like these it's not like we go around talking about this sort of stuff right it's not really apparent mm-hmm. but it is just kind of how we treat each other yeah and so it makes sense but 
dude, you can't do, a teacher can't do that with multiple classes of 20 to 30 students, you know, usually closer to 30 students, right? Depending on your school system, but with the public, a lot of the public schools. And I think the heart of the matter, this is the other thing that you're just not allowed to say. Um, it doesn't matter how much you know money is poured in, how many shiny iPads, how many awesome, fun, engaging computer programs. If the kid is coming and they don't have the value for education and they don't want it, it's like you can feed a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And that is what um, our current educational system refuses to acknowledge. And that goes back to the accountability piece, because in a perfect situation, the parents would be the ones that's pushing kids because we know that they can inherently be a little lazy. I mean, we all were, I'm sure most of us as kids, we didn't really want to work and do homework. And that's where the parents are supposed to come in. Oh yeah. And there's lots of, there's lots of temptations and reasons not to, you know, there's good reasons for kids to question the world around them, which is ideally what, you know, again, back to education. Yeah. Hey, you don't, you don't want to be a chump. Hey, you don't want to be helpless in this world. Hey, you don't want to be subject to mass forces that you can never compete with or overcome in any meaningful manner or, you know, live alongside or, you know, achieve anything or do anything meaningful to you. you know, I could break it down in a number of ways because mm-hmm. it really is a question of, you know, people define success differently, but success or failure usually only means one thing. And it just means, you know, utter failure. Like you haven't achieved what you wanted. You failed at your goal. You know, you didn't go anywhere. You didn't do anything. That's, that's a big problem. You know, yeah. it's more losers stack up at the bottom. It's like, absolutely. This is part of why America is so unstable right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, for at least urban schools, I feel like the investment really, truly needs to be in volunteers, people to help kids read, mentors, you know, for children that don't have fathers, you know, for there to be like healthy. Oh, there's another thing that there's another thing that's tiptoed around and rationalized and justified to about the problem of fatherlessness in America. And people want to be like, oh, no, you can have peoples of all like, well, you like, they're probably called, like, they're no longer called parents or like pe- birthing people. Persons. Yeah, yeah, birthing persons and peoples of varied sexuality. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you guys are making all this shit up for millions of years. You know, primates and social animals live thus. Like, don't, don't give us this nonsense. I mean, well, that's not to say you America. can't have. Yeah, my actual training program, there was literally a guy that got up and like ranted about how wrong it is this concept that we need fathers because he was like a black male that, you know, didn't have a father in his life. And he was just going on and on about how we don't actually need fathers and we need to So quit he drank the Kool-Aid that. too or he bought and this in was back too. In 2013. I mean, TFA was like super, super like kind of radical left even back in 2013. And actually I've had a few people ask me to do a video talking about Teach for America. So that might be my next video. But um Yeah, it's just there's all these things that we're not allowed to say. And I think that I totally agree that there is generational poverty, there's generational mindsets, there's ways of thinking and seeing. Well, like you said, addiction's huge, and then the way it affects the child's huge. Like, there's a lot, yeah. It it is a a complex web. family, um, my grandmother was actually a Holocaust survivor. And so it's really sad, like looking at her kids, she was so traumatized that essentially all the people on my dad's side of the family are hardcore drug addicts or alcoholics. And they've just lived really rough lives because there's like that idea of generational trauma and poverty. And I mean, my dad was able to go into the military and he, you know, got a job as kind of like a computer software networking guy. So I mean, he did have, you know, some degree of success, but um, no, I, 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 I there's this uh, there's a psychologist who survived, um, you know, like Auschwitz, I think it was. And she wound up a psychologist and she came to concern herself with children and how you treat children. And 
she 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 really cared and you could tell she was trying to understand how just how it is we repressed and abused and you know and, and i mean like westerners broadly right going like how, you know how does europe wind up in that situation you know you come over here to america how does america wind up in this situation but even her son as a as a psychologist said like yes look she you know everyone loves her and she's helped so many people but she was a horrible mother just because she was you know so she was traumatized, traumatized. Oh, yeah, yeah she was she and obviously she, you know that if that's the case she left that pain and damage in him it doesn't mean he's broken let's try and draw a divide here between the notion of the way stress and trauma is internal in the body it's in the body recreated in the mind like the whole notion of ptsd is your your mind can't rationalize you're safe your body doesn't realize it's not in the same stressful situation it can't stop it's almost like a resentment right you can't stop this refeeling essentially it's mm -hmm. this disconnect it's a serious problem that's what the um the generational trauma reminds me of in fact ptsd and that when parents are damaged wounded hurt broken whatever you want to call it that they inevitably affect their children and that can happen through their presence or their absence. Yeah, oh, sorry, I'm getting a little bit off here, uh, but I just wanted to point out because it's, you know, it's different from what we we talked about it earlier. I think it's important to point out uh, what, that we said we don't, I said I didn't buy into it. It sounds like you didn't buy into it either. When you said someone is, um, oh, I guess it's the term historically marginalized. That's the one where it's like, that's the one that tries to say, that's the one that leans toward learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's why I didn't like that one. Yeah, and I think that that's where, you know, um, I feel like by virtue of a lack of options, I kind of tend to be more on like the conservative side a little bit. But in terms oh, of- Oh, well, you get it that there's no free lunch. Maybe, <laughs> well, maybe, and you lived it too. So, and I think yeah. this is the divide between a lot of these wealthy middle managerial, what education is what, 80% white women? Like, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to blame them, but I think there's a big disconnect. There's a class disconnect. There's a race yeah. disconnect. And honestly, given the, again, that we've been discussing the Orwellian aspect to all this, there's very much a dehumanization aspect and a loss of our, I don't know, a lot of our basic decency and values, you know, a lot of our, uh, and, and I'm not going to say like we, it was ever as united as people say it was, right? I'm not, yeah. that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying, I think we're further dehumanizing ourselves. I think we're further oh, yeah. terminating ourselves into consumerist mindset, you know, either machines or robots or even whores. Maybe I'll edit that out, but I can't help but feel that way a little bit with oh, kind yeah. of modern, modern uh, society. Well, and that kind of, I was going to say that I do, um, I tend to be, if there's such thing as a bleeding heart conservative, then that, then that's what I would be. Cause I do have enormous compassion for people that are suffering and traumatized and poor, you know, and witnessing violence. And so my solution, not that I think that. Well, sure. And I think it's cause you've been there, right? Like, yeah. how, oh yeah. You know, it's yeah, not, it's not some vague theory. It's not some theory to you. You've seen it. You've lived through it. And this is, again, I get angry just thinking about these things. Sorry, go on. Uh, well, yeah, I was just going to say that. Um, That's why I do get annoyed with my, like, conservative brethren, because it's like, they do just want to say, oh, they overlook. Well, you know, yeah, they do. No, they do. They overlook. They'll say, like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You have Dude, the that, same. That, honestly, I. I get the notion and they're and in a sense they're not wrong in the sense that you know look if look if i as a man in this world don't figure my shit out you think anyone feels sorry for me you think anyone gives a shit you think you think if i treated myself as disposable that anyone's really going to give me a medal that matters to that as much as my life matters to me you know what i mean like and it goes yeah. for you too as a woman and as a teacher and as a whatever you want to you know whatever anyone thinks of themselves as right 
Mm-hmm. And this is what gets me is that we've created this system that has the utter illusion of caring in humanity. Like, and yeah. we have this fiction and myth- mythos mythology around it, but at heart, it's very dehumanizing. It's very alienating. Oh, yeah. There are all these things that we ignore and the left does it and the right does it. And it's because I think when you have a very specific agenda, that's mm-hmm. just the collateral damage. It's like, of course, you're not actually, again, I think the biggest and most successful critiques of capitalism in the modern West and it's kind of a globalist system is that there's too much money invested in keeping problems rather than solving them. And mm-hmm. that this is probably the best, you know, from communists and leftists and everyone else alike, this is the best critique I see. You know, it's kind of like your postmodern thinkers, Foucault, Derrida, like, uh, not, uh, and especially, uh, what's the other guy? Not Chomsky. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But that they made those observations. And like I said, the social media comes to mind. Like, right, if if yeah. any of these companies cared about America or the future or the children, they would immediately make it so kids couldn't use social media. And why would they do that when kids are one of their hugest markets? Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think to me, if there was a possibility for us to really work on values and morals in inner city communities, then that could change things. Because ultimately what a person's mindset and beliefs hold will produce, you know, their reality in the sense that, you know, if I've asked students before, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And one legitimately told me a McDonald's manager. And that was like, wow, like I want to be. Oh, expand your horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And or so or was like, it, well, which side of it? Because yeah, it's like, well, at least they said manager, right? right? Number one. But also again, expand your horizon. Yeah, and that's what I think. That's that where the controversy comes in because the like I guess um, woke morality police want to say the second even like a black woman says, "Hey, you know what? In some of these communities, there are morality and values problems." Then I would get like beaten with a fly swatter for even saying that because who am I, you know, to dare critique somebody else's value systems or culture? And I mean, I think that's where. Things- well, then how do you stand on one if everything is relative? How do you stand on? See, this is this is what I think is part of the cultural morass it's all a bait and switch you can never hold anyone to like any kind of those people who actually think and operate like that you can never hold them to the word you can never get a straight answer you none of that shit right sorry pardon my friendship it's just you know and i think about this because like i told you about some of my friends who got into the consulting business and it's like i texted one the other day and he's like he's like i was just thinking about you and it's like i knew why it's like because here he is in this corporate meeting putting up with this corporate bullcrap that's selling utter bullcrap you know, that's wasting the education system's time and money, you know, and I'm not going to go that far. Maybe, maybe, I don't know what, you know, to be fair, I, I didn't, he didn't give me all the nitty gritty. He just kind of told me how corporate and cringe it was, I guess, um, <laughs> you know, and that this is, it is the funniest thing that for all this talk about oppression and all these other problems, it's like, yet when it's the corporate and government slogan, something's not quite right here. Mm-hmm. When it, when everyone posts, posts the same picture in their profile, when everyone says we're going to have a day of solidarity for that and everyone gets in line and then the next day, oh, now we're now we're going to go to war with Ukraine and we're in solidarity with that. Oh, and then what's I don't know if you've heard it amongst the kids, but the meme is, uh, I so, you know, quote unquote, I support the current thing. <laughs> oh, no, I hadn't heard that. It's pretty good, though, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah don't. And then as they've also said, you know, don't question, just don't think, just just buy more product and be excited to buy more product after that. You know, that's that the whole mentality behind a lot of it, that whole relativizing kind of nothingness. It's like, again, I see it as an inevitable consequence, a byproduct, and also a reaction to this coming apart, this wider society, inevitable societal collapse. 
Well, and I think the irony is that the people that are making these points about how everything is relative make that true for everything except for their own dogmatism. So, oh, right. Well, of course, because then you yeah. retain, and this is, dude, you know, a lot of these postmodern people, like they criticize West, the West, and our philosophy and our history and all that stuff. But, and, you know, you could say fair enough. And, but like, you know, you have plenty of scientists and thinkers, like, you know, a guy like Young said, you know, this is the problem with, he also, he acknowledged it, it's the problem with even like a whole field like psychology is that through our own biases and selective kind of editing in our heads, that psychology gets to choose the questions it puts to nature, right? Isn't that convenient, right? Like, how do we know what, when we decide on an idea or go in that direction, we don't know what we're actually missing. We don't know what we don't see, right? We don't see those things until the failures or problems become evident, right? Yeah. And I just bring this up in context of, you know, I guess this 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 wider uh, situation, like you saying that, of course, that's convenient. And then that tells you that the whole thing is bad faith. There can be no trust. There's you can't actually talk to someone like that. I couldn't be friends with. Some, imagine trying to date someone like that. <laughs> you would hate that. I would I wouldn't give my time a day, for, you know, like through that. But it reminds me of the bigger issue is that, you know, for supposedly I don't know what the what, at the end of the day what the real message is supposed to be from in our politics, because if it's also relativistic, and if you can dehumanize people so easily and then rationalize your dehumanization of them, and then you know, and it's like, look, I largely think I think women have been turned into the modern workhorse, and men are largely disposable and dehumanized in their own way. Like this is kind of the divide in the sexes as far as I see them, right? Like you, I feel like women have been encouraged to sell their bodies and their minds and men have basically been encouraged to the same age old thing of like well you're disposable you know you're mainly our soldiers our worker bees or you you do these thankless jobs and no one's going to honor you or respect you for it but you know this kind of goes back to me saying earlier like what these these education systems are denying young men because i think young men are suffering the most right now yes i get it young women are suffering a mental illness crisis never before seen witnessed and part of that is the social media madness and their you know, they, they share a lot of that pain and problems, but boys are just the invisible casualty in the meantime. And then the only time it's acceptable to give voice to it is in very channeled ways of, oh, you can care about a black man in prison, but don't care about, a, a, a you know, someone, you know, that's, it, it all becomes obfuscation to me. Like, I don't know how it's not a distraction from the fact that men are dehumanized and disposable, period. Yeah, and I think um, I really appreciate, you know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s approach to so many things because his emphasis really did go back to character, you know, and how his dream was that his children were going to be judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And the weird place that we're going is that character can't even be a discussion like we're not allowed to say looting and burning down the local, you know, hair weave store and like holding up signs and like kicking random people. Like that's not moral. Like that's not having character. That's not the right way well, to go about kids, that. You heard what they say, right? The St. Your Granddaddy Civil Rights Movement. Yeah. Yeah. And or how, think, how about this? Liberals get the bullet too? There's a fun one. Oh, no, I haven't heard. I don't think, <laughs> I think you're not a liberal. <laughs> you, yeah, you get the bullet anyway. You, you self-admitted conservative. Look at you. You're just identifying yourself. <laughs> yeah, Please, no, don't hurt me, right? Yeah, I'll be whatever you want me to be. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I I guess technically I'd be independent, but I mean, I, that doesn't exist really in America. I guess you kind of yeah, have no, to pick a side. <laughs> no, no. But, well, that's, that's, the, that's the hand that's been forced, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, I think that most people, you know, and this is a side conversation, can kind of agree, sure. like even formerly conservative Democrats, which I guess I probably would have been in that character or in that, you know, category before things right. went insane. Yeah, nah, nah, yeah, no, it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. But I think when it all comes down to it, like the giant, big, huge picture is that we need families, we need an agreed, you know, set upon moral basis we need character we need values and we need to agree and since that's gone i'm kind of beginning to wonder if like the hope for our western civilization is gone because essentially what's going to happen is my uh one of my close friends she's the only happy teacher i've ever known but she works in a home (laughs) 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 yeah she she works in a homeschooling co-op situation where She teaches the kids for two days a week and then their parents teach them for the other three days a week. And, you know, there's a shared set of values. Um, The parents are taking on responsibility to teach the kids because I met with her a few weeks ago and I was asking her, like, you know, what does it feel like to not have all that burden on you for you for, you know, to have the kids perform? And she said, oh, actually, there's zero burden on me. She said it's 100 percent the parents responsibility to make sure the kids understand it. She said, I'm just the disseminator of information like I am the dispenser of information but it's the parents you know responsibility to make sure that the students are doing the work and that they're understanding there's actually a partnership between parents and teachers and they all have shared values and I feel like going forward that's going to be the only real option I mean if you're lucky maybe you can find that in a private school community (laughs) you know or some kind of like homeschooling community but I'm just thinking in terms of like public schools and just the way things are going politically it's frightening and it's terrifying and I guess I got out before a lot of the gender and pronoun stuff became a problem. But I've been right. hearing that some uh, kids are wanting to be identified as cats or dogs and they want to meow for their answers. I've heard that there's been problems in school because kids are wanting to change not only their pronouns, but their names every other week. And if kids mess it up, they're getting upset and saying, oh, there's like violence being done against me. <laughs> and, you know, wow. I'm kind of- Dude, and look again, coming from your experience, coming from mine, it's just first world problems like what what, what, (laughs) you know like we had the fruits of we have the fruits of empire to appreciate you know that that americans is it's going down that americans can't even appreciate it it's just it's a bummer yeah and it'd be one thing if if be one thing if it'd be one thing if this was happening and like people could show like a modicum of gratitude or Mm -hmm. you know these kids like getting upset about the pronouns going like hey like look these kids these kids were killed for belonging to the wrong families because they live in the wrong country. You know what I mean? That Or that yeah. their government hated them. Yeah, and that's the point that I had to argue with. Uh, surprisingly, only a few people in my critical race theory. Most people were pretty supportive. Um, in that's the a funny thing, by the way, because you know? I can never get a definition. I've never heard it actually defined. I've heard everyone dance around it and say it's real, it's not real, it's being taught, mm-hmm. it's not being taught. But I'm still – okay, go on, sorry, and then, and then I can question you. It's it's purposely nebulous, um, but the the thing that I really had kind of wanted to point out to some of the people in the comment section is that 2022 children and women, anybody you want to put in a disadvantaged category, have the best opportunity that they have had in American history. You know, we've had a, a for all intents oh, and purposes, right, right. black president. You know, and that would have never. Oh, happened. it's like it's almost like that. But here's the crazy thing: this is this is where things get Orwellian. You know, regardless of that, like no one on the left seemed to like, like they love people loved him in, at the moment, but lots of people did not like him on the left and the right at the time. But it's in terms of at least having one, it's almost like it never even happened. Which which thing uh, never happened? Like it's almost like we never had a black president. 
you know oh, that, yeah yeah and then and then when people talk about it, it's usually cynical and it's like well white people only voted for it because they felt guilty or whatever and it's like maybe some like some of them sure like but if you're going to talk about people feeling guilty it's like clearly these white teachers and friggin' education feel guilty and their their mother complexes are getting in the way of educating the kids in a lot of cases it's obvious well and the problem is we're never you know, they baby the kids they coddle the kids they you don't know? punish what was that yeah, we're just never getting to the solution. That's the big problem yeah. um, because there is a marketing on the idea that there's this problem and we're the commercial entity that's going to solve it for you. You know, here, oh, yeah, hey, the sale, again, the salesman is very Western, very idealistic, right? The, the salesmen are going to save the world once again. And it's like, we've heard this story. We've seen this story. Your very attitude, like your very system brought itself to this collapse. And now you're you're what selling selling race and pronouns is gonna save it or fix it or help anybody? See, it's just the opportunity cost, the squander. It's it's baffling to know or to question how many generations of these kids have been crippled by the education system rather than helped by it. Because again, the stats are in and they're abysmal. The the rates of illiteracy, you know, I don't I don't have them before me, but I've looked into them in the course of my education projects here. And again, I want, I want to thank you for talking to me. You know, we've been going here almost two hours and we probably should start winding it down. Although I, I think there's at least a few more things I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, oh, go ahead. Go on. Oh, go on. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I think the biggest problem with all of this is that there's no solutions being presented. And I honestly think the solutions are incredibly simple. If we put all of our bajillion dollars towards some really simple solutions, it would be a lot better. But I think a lot of them is just the idea that we need to really work on kids in inner cities, morals and values. Oh, and the content-based curriculum seems to be the best because you're building that you're back to the notion of reading being so important because you're creating yeah. like a neural, like you're creating a network of your own conception and understanding of the world. And it's not just like, it's not for the sake of making simple, because so much of the politics is like so simplified as to be borderline retarding. And I don't yeah. mean that as a slur, right? I mean, that is like, it actually has a, a negative effect on the mind and the body, right? Like yeah. the, it's taught to be so simplified or it kind of heads in that direction versus yeah. going, no, these kids, the, the problem with these other kids in the first place is that they're already years behind these other kids who were taught to read at an early age, who were given lots of attention and reading, and who have already come, formed these complex networks of understanding and also uh, networking with other people. Relationships are huge, right? Yeah. Um, everything about us as social animals is regulated by our relationships and our feeling towards each other and the way we kind of both cooperate and compete. So, again, if kids are lacking not just examples of competition and cooperation, but also conception and how to articulate that, whether that's sharing your thoughts or your feelings or exploring your thoughts and feelings, because, you know, I guess this is kind of the education has to have a it has to have have a teleology right it has to have that purpose it has to have that center it has to have that kind of like you said uh, i guess the world more even more like they said that it does have to have a certain structure or uh aim and um scaffolding if you will mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i think that um as long as I think I could just speak for the black community. I think the entertainment is just abysmal and horrible. Like, you know, Nicki Minaj and Megan Thee Stallion. And oh, just, see, look, are you sure you're not just being old? <laughs> no. You're being uh, one of us I, old people? Because uh, I hear you. I hear you on plenty of it. It's like, look, look, I I, I, I grew up on punk and heavy metal and, and rap, too, and plenty of other stuff. But 
you know, even then it's like, you know, yeah, I, I know decadence. I know what's actually, you know, I have an idea of like, hey, is this actually good for kids? Uh, a lot of it, not really, you know? Well, and if you think about it, I mean, I'm going into really controversial waters here, but it's like, if that is your moral compass is basically like, you know, sleep with an indefinite amount of men and maybe you abort the child. Well, how else do women have value? Yeah, right. it's terrible. And it's just like, how else do women empower themselves? Apparently women's version, like this, mo a lot of these modern feminist versions of women empowering themselves is like trying to either ape men or dominate men. And it just, well, it's, and it's laughable to me. Too, because to me, this goes back to the conspiracy. It's so ironic. In the olden days, women would talk about the problem of being objectified by men. And basically they would talk about the problem of pornography and modern mm -hmm. feminism is we're going to become pornography to stick it to the man. Let me strip naked and protest about my right. life. The guys are like, yeah, oh, you're not. God. Yeah. What's, well, how, I'm trying to remember how the song goes. There's a song that your, your excess isn't rebellion. You're buying what they're selling. Ooh, you know, your self, your self-destruction doesn't hurt them. You know, talking about yes. the system, and it's called how do you how do you afford your rock and roll lifestyle? But it applies here, Absolutely. going and then and then the actual damage that does in human human relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, just not not only to teach such cynical, hateful things between the genders and the sexes, or the, I mean, and the races. But, it, you know, if it's in the gender dynamic, you know, we're just barely getting into this year, but I know that that's a part of it, too. And like it does, it has a corollary in 1984, because and it, I don't know if you remember Julia, I think in that book, I don't remember how she words it, but she says that a lot of the party, it's politics and the fact that it's based on rage and hatred is that part of it is predicated on sex going south on sex, go, on the, the relationships being soured between the genders to the point that the state could come in and fully divide the genders and just make sure that they were in a constant state of unease and war and that they had no love or appreciation of each other as wow. human beings. And yeah, twisted. Yeah, and that goes to the for me the the bigger conspiracy that I actually believe in. <laughs> oh no, the, this this is capitalism at its best, it. right? The, yeah, we're joking about the idea that you know while we're arguing pronouns, Russia and China are gathering real military forces yes. to come invade us, and it's like oh, literally and, like a house divided against itself can't. And it makes stand. us look stupid. It's it is embarrassing. Look, look, yeah, you're 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 an intelligent person. Like it's it's embarrassing to know. Because the embarrassment is secondary. It's more like, oh, this all has super serious consequences, and we're not talking about any of it. The president's not talking about any of it. They're sitting there saying, okay, 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 back to Orwellian language, forever a recession defined as, you know, an economic downturn for more than two quarters, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, there it happened, and then everyone in the media, including the president and the vice president, no, oh, this is not a recession. And it's like the same people in media. You can go back, check this out. You can go back a few months or years, and the same people are going, oh, this looks like a recession. We're two economic downturns and then just again a few years later this is no longer the definition of recession we've changed it we'll call it something else then or just don't gaslight us like this right it's insane oh, absolutely uh, and then okay wait but not to get distracted from the gender thing because i think it's also important you know that question of okay because i do question if this is how women are being taught to raise and and you know because men kind of do it naturally a little bit but honestly as men grow up mature any mature man who respects himself and who thinks of himself as, I don't know, in certain regards, I think generally they usually calm down with it. They usually calm down with it and wind up with a more stable life, usually because most men, just like I think a lot of most women, prefer a stable life rather than a crazy life, right? Mm -hmm. um, unless there's maybe something, again, wrong with them. So 
and I mean that like uh, specifically in terms Mental. of uh, modern American dysfunction and mental illness, but yeah. like I wonder how much that kind of that dehumanizing, no loyalty, no allegiance, no love for man and women between man and women, I wonder how much that further degradates our ability to form lasting relationships, both sexually and as just friends. Well, yeah. And then the the children that are the product of those unions really get it the worst. And that those are the yes. kids that are coming to school so broken because right. they haven't had their basic attachment needs met by sometimes either one of their parents. And it just is really it's really heartbreaking. And I think that the big root of the problem kind of circling all the way back <laughs> to the sure. beginning of the conversation is the loss of, you know, Judeo Christian values. It's like family, marriage taking care of your children. Yeah, no, no, you're, I, I think you're right. No, it's, it's, it's an age of nihilism. Uh, this is exactly, it's just, it was inevitable with that proverbial death of God. It wasn't just the death of, it means our organizing principles are going to fail. Our values are going to fail. Everything's going to come apart because we, we're no longer bound like we once were in a place in time. We are a very different culture and people now. And then and, pleasure becomes God. And when pleasure and addiction is God, then the yes. result is a degradation and a falling apart of society altogether. Well, that's, but that's, but see, in Brave New World, Mustafa Man would say, no, don't you get it? This is the perfectly engineered society. We're no longer beholden to these values, heroism, values, loyalty. These have no place in an industrialized economic superpower whose whole purpose is consumption to the point of all but to the point of failure. Keep consuming, keep buying, keep the system moving because it needs to move. It can't stand still, it can't stop. But you know, as much excess within the bounds of this kind of fake world we've created anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the end product is misery and depression. Yes. <laughs> yes. And oh, it's suicide too, all of it. Murders and because it's not, it's not a joyful way to live. The irony. No. He is trying to point to those original values mm -hmm. and he does question why they're there to begin with. And that's actually does line up with Nietzsche's conception going, here's the problem. The problem is we have these values. We don't even understand why we have them, but we live by them and that they're going to fall apart and we're still not going to be able to understand that. And we're not going to be able to put them back together again. This was Nietzsche's concern. I'm not going to say it's over and done for. But he understood that this would be a nihilistic age because after the disbelief in God, that all these things would come apart. And how would we ever come back together again? What's going to unite us now? Totalitarian you, government. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, what do you call it? Digital dictatorships. Oh, and then, and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if you really take it to its logical conclusion, mankind seeking God in the machine, yep. this is this where it gets Brave New World in 1984 at its logical conclusion is that we're going to try to fully integrate ourselves with it and either create cyborgs or kind of, and this, no, and this is what the end, look, I, I think a lot of this is kind of schizoid, far flung and far from reality, but there are very real elements that are very real possible. So my thoughts are, you know, if a lot of these tech leaders and people are saying stuff like, to give you an example, he says, Harari, you know, a, a form, foremost thinker who's influencing a lot of these like one world government globalist type of peoples, you know, he kind of whispers in their ears. He villain. says, what is that? <laughs> He's a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, and then he says that the way he sees it is that 
the people who, the human beings who are alive in a hundred, two hundred, a couple hundred years from now, they'll be as different from us as we are from chimpanzees or, or Neanderthals. And with most animals, when they reach that critical peak in evolution, that's a time of dying off or that's a time of genocide, right? Like we outcompeted Neanderthals, they died off, you know, we killed them. So if those future, if that's really where they're going, then it's it's kind of and look, it's technically it's not even anything new. It would be the same old, same old. Oh, look, another genocide. We've seen this before. Now it's done under, you know, yeah, with I, I really believe it's going to happen. Um, and that's, <laughs> Well, yeah. And like fun fact, you know, being Christian and, you know, believing in end times Bible prophecy. Right. I mean, there's like it's prophesied that there's going to be a one world government. There's going to be a mass genocide of anybody that does not go along with the system. You know, there's a talk of the mark of the beast, you know, a mark that everybody needs to buy or sell to be a part of. I'm I'm familiar with revelations is the hell of a read, man. (laughs) It's wild. If you think that we'd be living in like a transhumanistic society with microchips and the metaverse and uploading consciousness. I'll say this. I think think the immediate upset in global civilization and these ramifications we're going to be seeing, even despite the increasing the the new industrial revolutions that are happening and they're going to continue to happen. I think, you know, some of this like this great reset stuff, build back better stuff like it's basically that was all a euphemism for a controlled burn. That's what they're talking about when they say that, like whether people understand that or not, it's irrelevant. It's already happened. It's already done. They're milking the system for every last dollar because everyone feels it in their gut. We know that it might not be there tomorrow. That's the feeling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There is fear in the air. I know it. I know you know it. Uh, everyone knows it. Well, and, you know, it's kind of the order out of chaos, right? Or like never waste a crisis <laughs> or, you know. Yeah. Oh, dude. And then, oh, and I, 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 I've talked about this, you know, I, I've talked about this a lot in the course of my work over the last year or so and written about it, too, that exactly. And then public health is always the excuse for tyranny. Right. And you saw how quickly people got in line. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter whether it's COVID or Ukraine, people just immediately line up and see this is why I said education is supposed to like not make us that way in theory. Right. And I, and again, it's like, okay, so it looks to me like we're educating again, we're educating people to be thoughtless, to be mindless, oh, yeah. to be consumer drones, to, and to, have to no be slaves. Skills. As a matter of fact, not to diminish that word. What was that? Yeah. And to have no critical thinking skills. And yeah. That, yeah. You talked about that. A lot of teachers not. did. Yeah, that that really surprised me a lot. Um, Just some students' real difficulty and inability to like put two thoughts together and, you know, produce, you know, something coherent. It's a real struggle. It really is um, because a lot of those skills are taught or they're modeled. And since we don't see people really debating anymore and we don't really teach understanding and knowing both sides of the story right. and looking at uh, the pros and cons of like them. You, well, you heard the comedian say it, right? That's that's how you win. You get the stupid on your side. <laughs> you know, that's what makes it easy that. is if think about it. If people if people are ignorant. If they don't know, they can they don't know anything about history, context, yeah. present mistakes, past failures, you name it. If they know nothing and have no historic or longer worldview they're absolutely ripe for manipulation. I guess people like, there's always, there's a reason why people like that are always going to be called useful idiots. Yeah. And it would be interesting to understand what happened in Nazi Germany, you know, for 
the society to be able to be so controlled and go along with that. Um, oh, but I, yeah, I think, there's a lot of good analyses out there, but you know, because yeah, you could see a lot of different things at work: the social manipulation, the power of radio and media, you know, telling everyone a story they want to hear, telling everyone, you know, they got their their, their heads are up their own asses, they love the smell of their own farts, right? America has gone that direction, yet it has no right to. Have you ever seen Idi- and, uh, *Idiocracy* by chance? I haven't. No, people bring it up all the time, but I haven't. Uh, yeah, it's it's okay. So it's a bit, it might be a bit crude and, and whatever for your taste, but it's also quintessentially American. And there's even some prophecy in there. <laughs> you know, it's America in the future. The, you know, the president is, you know, uh, like he was a, he was a wrestler and a porn star. It just, it's like really too, too close to home. Really uh, yeah. I think that uh, we definitely, uh, like you said, we're at a, a turning point in yep. our country if we're not there already, but it's looking, it's not looking good uh, for people that don't agree, essentially. And I think people are going to really have to start thinking that have kids, um, what they're going to do about public school or how <laughs> they have to go to public school, how they're going to counteract. I have a serious question. What side of the bars do you want to live on? Do you take the mark or do you not take the mark? Look, look, I'll admit it. I'm not a Christian. I, I wouldn't take the mark. Good. <laughs> I think people have to really figure out if we don't really have a whole lot of hope for the public education system, for right. example, and for where society is going, I think small communities are just going to start forming where it's people just, say, yeah. we it's going to be the only realistic like, answer, right? Because yeah. what else do you have? There's nothing. Like if you don't, if there's no cohesion, if there's no real we, if you don't like what your city, your county, your state, your your school boards are doing, it's like there's not much you can do but kind of seek that out and seek to create a community and a network of your own. And I think this is a lot of the modern disconnect is people don't have those networks. And a lot of people, they never learn how to network with others. And it's very important, you know, both in real time and real life, if you will, and online. Yeah, and I think parenting is more important than ever. And I've been really annoyed. You know, sometimes I go to my newsfeed in Google. And so I'm getting like these TikTok videos of moms bragging that my kids have unlimited screen time. I let my daughter wear a thong to a beach. This is literally the article I was reading yesterday. And they're getting like, you know, hundreds of thousands. How old was the daughter? Well, this was like a young mom. I'm not sure how old the daughter was, though. Maybe she was an older. Well, you said thong to the beach. To the beach, Yeah. Um, I mean, thongs cover like nothing. Oh, nothing. like it's like almost nothing to the imagination. Like it's like a little, right? You know, like a dental floss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they're getting all of. See this- where where and where's where's dad? Like look, maybe to 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 be an old curmudgeon. Like where's dad to put a blanket on that girl? Like what the hell? I'm telling you. Yeah, probably there isn't one. Um, and so I think that there needs to be a parenting problem. Yeah, she wants to be. She wants to be friends, right? She wants to be friends yeah. with her daughter. Like you see that. I know you guys have that problem in education that you have a lot of these parents who, again, they haven't been parents to their kids. Now we're getting back into the back into the morass. And I think I had a long list of questions we never even got around to, but I think we cut co- we covered them in a roundabout way. Um, very much so, you know, from the consulting stuff to who's responsible for. And it just seems, honestly, it seems like a hydra, like, it just kind of seems like a hydra. It's got mm-hmm. all these heads and you don't even know, like, it doesn't matter if you cut one off. It's like, it'll get three more. It's like, okay, we got rid of, uh, you know, I don't know, no child left behind and here's CRT and what do you call yeah. the other thing? Bima and. Um, oh, BIST. <laughs> BIST, yeah, yeah. That, that, that all that, you know, that. 
Yeah, I think it's got people really have to decide what are our values, what are our morals, and they have to like really, really oh. teach that to their kids. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, dude, and it comes down to I think it really is that it's like, do we do we actually value humanity or not? Do we value flesh or not? And then do our mm -hmm. actions in the world reflect that? And I guess the question for modern industrial civilization, it's like, well, when everything's so diffuse and it's hard to be responsible for yourself because everything is diffused, you know, like the government's happy to take up the power, the state's happy to take up the power no one wants to be responsible no you know if everyone thinks it, we have an entitled consumer mindset so it's like you know and i don't know that you know is it just otherwise too idealistic to expect anything else was this just the inevitability that we would lose our values to the most shallow kind of pragmatism of well look we can be hedonic we can meet our needs if you guys want to have values you can go live in the dirt over there us over here, we're in like Babylon 2.0, we're in Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0, right? Like Manifest Destiny 2.0, right? You're either on our side or you're in the way. It's it, yeah. it is spooky. I think to a degree, you know, because of human brokenness, there's always going to be injustice. People are always going to like do the wrong thing. But my bias is that to the degree that, you know, people would hold to Judeo-Christian values, you know, which if you really look at a lot of the people that did prison reform, that did ed reform in, in the olden days back in Europe, they were actually Christians that were like, hey, these hospital conditions are awful. We need to have more dignity for people. Oh, it's in the same prison. thing with a lot of them here, too, in America uh, are, are more and they were less idealistic like I can't remember I think it was Eugene Debs or one of these older you know older American socialists from some other era that's long gone right but he's the kind of guy who'd say something like you know it's all well and good to care about the the poor and the downtrodden and all that stuff he's like but know that they're often mean nasty unintelligent vile people with their own motives and their own hatreds and their own ignorances and they're that's not true. You know, to sit there and pity them, did it does them no friggin' good. And like, this is a problem. I, this is a beef I have with a lot of, I'm not gonna say just Christians, but a lot of, you know, it's the same problem with liberals too, right? The bleeding heart, the bleeding, to me, the bleeding heart liberals, just a, kind of the more modern secular Christian. That's what they mm -hmm. are, right? It's what their morality is. They didn't create their morality. They, they borrowed it from Judeo-Christianity and to the degrees that they've kind of altered it and their minds are tampered with it. Is to the, like I think they want they want the kingdom without God in it. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. That'll preach, brother. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, look, like I told you, I'm not a Christian, but I, I yeah, I wouldn't doubt if a Got preacher it. said that. You that nailed this. it. No, that's really what it is. And going back to your question of like, you know, right. can any society or culture really do this? I mean, to the degree that they say we don't believe in God, there's no basis anymore. If there's no judge that is judging. No, the good action. point. No, no, no. And is a, philo a philosopher is a judge, a wise man, a wise woman, an experienced man, an experienced woman. We learn to be judges. We judge ourselves and we judge others. And it's okay to judge yourself. And it's okay to even have, I think what we're missing is, I guess this is Nietzsche's criticism of modern people that they lack the ability to hate themselves, to despise themselves, to realize how how small and weak they really are in the sense, any sense of overcoming that or doing anything more or better, you know, not to get yeah. too philosophical uh, on you, but. No, I, I totally, I, yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it's standards. It is. It's standards. It's values. It's judgments. I did appreciate some of those Thomas Sowell clips in the education special where he was talking about we're expected to be non-judgmental, and I couldn't help but laugh every time I heard Sowell say, uh, do not expect sound judgment from a society that has no standards. Absolutely. I, yeah.
Yeah, and yeah. no, no, and I think, and I guess, look, because because I get it with podcasts, a lot of times people don't want to leave people on a bad note or on a negative note. But my thoughts are, if the if there's the lesson is clear, it's like, look, for anyone who can listen and understand this, don't expect anyone else, least of all the state, least of all the teachers, least of all anyone outside your family, your networks, the people you value and love and care about and who've proven that you know, you guys trust and love it, right? The, like outside of that, like, dude, don't put your hope in any of these things. Don't expect not, like you got nothing coming to you, you know? And I'm just trying to frame this and, uh, you know, to, to end on a better note than, well, we're screwed, <laughs> you know, because I could say that too, because I think that's kind of inevitable. And I'm, I'm a happy, I'm, I'm happy as a fatalist. Like I got no qualms here, you know? Yeah. It comes back to what, it, what do people want out of life? For yeah. a lot of people, it's positive relationships, you know, maybe a family, maybe a community to be able to live with their own conscience right. that they're doing their best to be kind to others and to benefit humanity right. in some sense or another. And to and, build uh, what they know. want to build and to engage their creative, right? Whatever it is that drives people. Yeah. Go on. And oh, just uh, for a lot of people, a lot of teachers, we really hope to do our good in the world by helping oh, kids. Oh, right. You know, oh no, but, and you, you and, but no, the results are in. Uh, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll just sum it up for everyone else real quick. Is that essentially uh, for everyone who's been listening? Basically, teachers kind of like they can't do their job. They're blamed for everything. They're seen as the problem. They're kind of the go-between. They are the governmental worker who's bearing the brunt of our societal crisis. They are one of those kind of places where so many worlds collide, right? Students, parents, government policies, mm-hmm. right? And that yeah. you guys have been bearing that brunt because of all these problems. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the best thing that, you know, teachers that can continue to do is to like speak the truth to their, to the ability that they can. If parents want to help, they can really ask questions of school boards. Right. I always advocate kindness and not like the screaming nutcase people. Oh, d- 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 yeah. It's, I honestly, the, the, the screaming person, I don't think they'd be listening us to understand anyway. Right. Uh, uh, but, you know, in, in the off chance that one of them winds up here. Yeah, just like kindness and um, and really a parenting revolution of choosing the values that you believe in and really doing your best to like instill those in your kids and talk to your kids if they go to oh, public. Oh, and it's hard. I get why people don't want to do it. It's hard yeah. to instill your values. And it also, it makes it harder for your kid because your kid then has to reconcile the values he's taught with the values he sees in this world. Yes. He or she, right? Like that. So, okay. Imagine you're a young girl and your parents trying to teach you about the importance of chastity. It's like, you don't understand. You don't even, I bet even by 15, you don't understand the true dangers and commitment of sex and parenthood, right? Like, you know, kids, you know, people, modern Americans are still kids at 15, uh, men and women alike. Right. So it's like, you know, it really does, uh, you know, to have, to be a value, I guess that's the whole thing, right? Values and to judge is to, is in its own right is to set the house at odds. Yeah, and it's gonna be sacrificial, you know, you won't get praised in public, you know, you might oh, not yeah. popular. Well, we don't we 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 yeah. just we get praised or blamed anyway, right? So why yeah. let any I might to my mind, why let anyone or anything stop you? You know, that we're not really seen or understood. We're largely just praised or blamed. You know, someone doesn't, someone sees your video. It's like, they're not going to appreciate your, you know, eight plus years of teaching. They're not going to appreciate all you went through. They're just going to see, hear you saying one opinion you didn't like. And all of a sudden you're the, you're the devil to them. It's insane. Right. It's absolutely uh, pathological. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, and I'll say this, it's been, you know, um, I, I appreciate you coming on here and I appreciate you talking about these things because I get it. It's, it's not pretty. And it's, um, I appreciate yeah, and people don't time. want 
a mirror held up. I had somebody no, comment on one of my first uh, videos, like, you know, this is all depressing. Like, why would anybody ever want to be a teacher? Where's the positive stuff? And I just wrote to her kindly. I said, you know, there's a reason why half of all teachers are quitting within the first five years and somebody needs to talk about it. And my audience yeah. is either people that care about teachers or teachers that have felt frustrated and hurt by the system, but they feel like they don't have an outlet or a voice. And so I just nicely wrote to her, if this is uncomfortable for you, then you're not the intended audience that I'm trying to reach here. Right. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And then again, sorry, sorry that you had a minor bit of discomfort on the internet, which you could have completely ignored or bypassed anyway. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, yeah. again, first world problems. And it's like, if the first world is falling apart, then that's all our problem. But that, again, this reminds me of the whole, like, uh, you know, what would you, would you call it, say, like you say, fiddling while Rome burns, or what, what was the term you used earlier? Oh, uh, reorganizing deck chairs uh, on the, on the Titanic. Titanic. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's like, okay. <laughs> well, tell you what, Trish, change everything so you can accommodate this one random person, okay? Like, <laughs> I get it. You don't have to be mean to it, but, you know, like, like you said, you promote kindness and humanity. And I, look, I appreciate a mature humaneness, right? One that any any kind of mature humaneness I can appreciate, especially if it's well, I, I, just because I know it's generally not, like, it's just not how we are. It's actually, you have to mold yourself. You have to shape yourself to be that way, right? Values aren't just a given. They have to be built. They have to be maintained. They have to be dusted off from time to time and really looked at. Definitely. Definitely. Well, this is so, um <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I and look, and I, I, shit, I could go on, but I, originally I was thinking like, look, well, we'll just do a good hour, maybe, but we just kind of carried on, and here we are, we're almost at two hours, but before we go, again, this has been Every Trivial Fact, my name is Mino, me is no one, your host, this has been my friend Trish, Teacher Therapy on YouTube, you can find my stuff uh, here on my YouTube channel, my website, bezabezar.com, that's B-E-Z-A, B-E-Z-A-R.com, and as for you, Trish, you got channels and stuff you'd like to promote? Yeah, just a teacher therapy. And um, I'm trying to get all the all the audios from the videos on a podcast. So I have a teacher therapy podcast on Spotify, too. And my dream would be to write a book. But, uh, you know, we'll see if that happens or not. <laughs> sure. If and when you do, you know, I'd love to, love to talk to you again. And from here, I'll just say we'll talk to you sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. And you're welcome. Bye-bye.